And welcome to Ghost to Divers. This is an anime podcast on the Export Audio Network. Uh, I am your co-host, Neve, and I'm joined, as always, by your other co-host, Connor. Hello and welcome. That's going to um, be my thing I'm, now for, for this, for IBO. I'm just going to say yeah. the same thing that you say. Okay. Uh, <laughs> and I was just thinking, I'm looking at how long we've been recording. So, like, maybe, like, 14 minutes ago, uh, about... Like, I really enjoyed having a bunch of guests on the podcast. Um, you were talking about exporting the, the file for the intro episode. Uh, and I was like, oh, I don't have to deal with three audio now. It's just me and Connor. <laughs> just two um, audio. That's still, that's still, <laughs> like, I don't know what it is about, like, every time you add, like, a different uh, audio file of, like, another host, it just makes the editing, like, exponentially worse. Um in a way that like doesn't fully make sense because it's not that much more work, but just somehow it does. It just makes it worse. The the editing experience. I love the recording experience, and then I go to edit it, and I'm like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, yeah. I mean, synchronizing like two things is hard enough, and synchronizing three things is, you know, yeah. Stands for it's not even entirely that. It's just like for each one, I have to do like all the normalization and leveling and stuff. Um. And then it just like makes the audacity file explode in size is mm. really the worst part. I think um, 
I don't understand why. Anyway, we're here to talk about not this. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about the first six episodes of Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Um, how, how do we want to handle... So I just put in all the synopses. We've sometimes done it where we do all the synopses at the top, and then we talk through. Uh, sometimes we've done it episode by episode. Um, I don't know if you feel strongly. I kind of am inclined towards everything at the top, but that's um, fine. We'll do yeah. that. Okay. Um, um, do you want to take the first one? Yeah, we we can do it that way. Um, we'll alternate. So, um, also, uh, props to. And I think feel like this is going to fall off as the series goes on, uh, but there are some extremely complete uh synopses on like various wikis and things for this as a as a beloved gundam show so um i pulled i think most of these from the iron blooded orphans dedicated wiki um and then edited them down a little bit and changed a few things um but yeah it it made synopses so much easier this this week than they sometimes are um so episode one it's called iron and blood uh, this is in the year post-disaster 315, uh, the very first scene. Um, I don't know if this is, like, directly established in the show, but that's when this is taking place. Um, and uh, Mikazuki uh, Augus, who is, like, the main Gundam boy of the series, uh, we see him as, like, a, a little child, um, and he fires a gun in an alleyway. Uh, we don't see who he, he fires. Um, while his wounded friend... Um, Orga watches. Um, and then Mikazuki asks Orga what to do next. Uh, then cuts to eight years later. Well, I think, or is this just a cold open? I don't think we actually get any opening music for this. It is. It's a cold open. Yeah. And it starts, it it, starts with this and it cuts directly to the next. Yeah. With with them, with Barbados. Yeah. Uh, so it cuts to, to eight years later. Um, they are working at a private security company called CGS, uh, which is like the, I, I don't remember what it stands for. It doesn't matter. Um, and uh, I think it's just like something group security. It's like the, the Chrysler or whatever. Uh, anyway, uh, Mikazuki asks Orga that same question. What do we do next? As Orga's kind of slacking off, uh, sleeping beside a mobile suit, which we're later going to learn is called Gundam Barbados or uh, Barbados. Barbados, I think is the closer to the Japanese. Um then, uh, yeah, in the suburbs of the, the Crease Autonomous Region, I, for, I should like look up more of the pronunciations for these going in, but I forgot to today. Um, located in the, uh, Arbrow Territory of Mars, um, Maruba briefs Orga and a second command, Biscuit, um, who leads the, uh, both of them lead the third core of the CGS on their mission. Um, and the mission that they're being given is to transport this uh, daughter of Christ's representative. Uh, she's like a, kind of a noble, I guess, um, or at least like very upper class. Um, her name is Kudelia Ina Bernstein. Um, and they're to be her escort to Earth. Uh, she's going there in a diplomatic move to try to further the Mars independence movement. Um, and they find out that she hand selected them for this mission. Uh, we get a scene, uh, 
in Kudelia's home, where she reveals to her aide Fumitan that she personally requested them because she wants to see and feel the truth for herself. Um, the like one, I want to feel and see for the truth for myself. I think is like a direct quote. Um, meanwhile, uh, Kudelia's father, Norma uh, Norman Bernstein, is actively selling her out to Gatlahern's Mars branch chief. Gatlahern being like uh, one of the the main ruling factions i guess uh in this world um uh the branch chief is named coral conrad um kudeli arrives at cgs and meets with members of the third corps including mikazuki uh who does not want to shake her hand when she offers because his are dirty uh we get this little exchange around that um where she's like i want to shake hands because we're we're equal uh and then potentially hesitates like there's some you can read into exactly what's happening in that that uh interchange um where they they don't shake hands when he shows his dirty hand uh and then he says like we aren't i guess we aren't equal or something um uh anyway uh the cgs headquarters is suddenly attacked by i keep saying gatlahern i think it uh gyalerhorn is probably like closer to the japanese and is what most people say mm-hmm. uh i just see this word and it is impossible for me to not go into i know icelandic, some icelandic and like old norse <laughs> and i'm like that's gatlahern uh anyway I, i'm not gonna fight it i'm just gonna say gatlahern uh but just putting it out there that's that's me being a weirdo uh so they're suddenly attacked by the gatlahern forces and the third corp uh having been uh, abandoned by their superiors decide to strike back with the ancient and hastily repaired Gundam Barbados uh, piloted by Mikazuki um, in a flashback to the, the alleyway scene ending out this episode um, we see uh, Mikazuki asking Orga what to do next again and then Orga replies it's obvious we're going somewhere not here uh, there's a little bit more to that but that's like the gist of it that's episode one uh, we then go to episode two, which is titled Barbados. Um, I'm just going to say Barbados. I'm also going to say yeah. Gellerhorn. So um, we'll just live with that tension between us. Yeah. Um, rewinding um, slightly in time from last episode, we see um, as Mikazuki prepares to go out in Barbados, uh, Kudelia notices that Mikazuki uh, will use the uh, Alina Vijnana system to pilot the um, to pilot Barbados. And uh, kind of like reactively um, expresses her concern that, oh, this is like, I know of this system. It's infamously like inhumane. Um, And uh, for various reasons, but uh, basically, you know, um, it's designed for children uh, and it's, it does a lot of physiological, uh, physiological damage. Um. In response, the mechanic, Yuki Nojo, um, argues that this isn't actually um, my recollection of the thrust of this conversation, but the plot synopsis says um, Yuki Nojo yeah. argues that uneducated children like Mikazuki can never find work on Mars without it. Um, there's a little bit of like, um, still for me now, having watched six episodes, um, it's unclear if it appears that the whiskers are different from the Elena Vijnana system. And that like, I'm just going to call it AV. Like the AV system is it interfaces with the whiskers. Um, yeah. 
in like a different way, but that like the whiskers themselves are like the interface for like, Oh, they interface in, with other machines in, in a different like way. That's not as devastating or whatever. So um, my, my understanding, and I think some of this comes up here. Um, I don't know if more of it, uh, gets explained um i'm not going to go into because there's some other stuff that i know comes up later uh specifically that i'm not going to touch on right now um but that specifically uh so there's like a connection port that's installed um and then it interfaces with nano machines that are implanted into the spine um and the reason why it's done on children is the the implant will like fuse with the nervous system as they're growing. Um, and it would be like, uh, significantly harder to do this with adults because the, the, the system's not like, uh, the body isn't like growing in the same way. Um, okay. but it, it is like dangerous and can, can have really bad side effects and things. Right. Uh, but everyone, like multiple people have this like spinal implant, which they like is introduced as, whiskers um and they use it to like pilot mobile workers as well and stuff yeah um it, it apparently so um, yeah and and the way that it like uh basically functions is because it's connecting with like the nervous system through the spine um it's more of a like intuitive control system where you instead of you doing a bunch of like uh you know mechanical controls on like a, a board or something in order to pilot um the mobile suits you're doing it more with like your mind and your body um it, it's like the the mobile suit becomes more of a and the, the workers like mobile workers as well become more of a like uh extension of your body um and so the reason why it's being like employed with these uneducated children who wouldn't be able to read and write is that like it'd be very hard to teach them uh how to like operate a lot of this stuff that's going to involve like various interfaces and like reading and operating system and things. But like, if they, they go into this, it becomes more uh, intuitive and they're able to just kind of control it by like thinking, well, like, well, I want that arm to move. And so the arm moves, you know? Yeah. Well, um, if, if we're wrong about the details here, I'm, I'm sure we'll, we'll, we'll clear it up eventually. Yeah, we'll hear about it. People will send us emails and uh, maybe we can respond to it in a timely way. If it is like a, a just a specific correction. Yeah, uh, people are listening right now. For... Like, wow! Like they're already fucking up. Um, <laughs> I know there's stuff that comes on comes up later with this stuff as well. But yeah, um, we'll we will be sure to correct our errors uh, in due time <laughs> if if uh, if we're wrong. Um, anyway, uh, Mikazuki uh, launches in the Barbados and he strikes down First Lieutenant Orla Stenja uh, of Gellerhorn. Um, We've forgotten to, men- to mention that um, Gellerhorn has sent three um, three fighters in um, mobile suits to basically wipe out uh, all of CGS. Um, yeah, I think they're all in grazes. Yeah. Um, and Mikazuki launches, uh, defeats Orostenja, kills him, um, and his uh, lieutenants, Krink Zent and Ein Dalton, um, are shocked. Uh, Ein is injured. And Crank, uh, recognizing that they're like not prepared for the, for to fight Barbados, um, retreats with Gallahorn's remaining forces. There's also a certain amount to which like he recognizes that they're kids, and that like uh, he's like less willing to go for it in that moment. Yeah, um, because of that. No, you're right. That that is um, yeah 
an important factor as well. Um, out in space, uh, Crank uh, debriefs Major Quarrel on the mission, um, the failure of the mission, um, and uh, takes issue with the fact that he's uh, been ordered to, to fight child soldiers um, and is uh, pr- pretty adamant about, about this, but uh, Quarrel yeah. doesn't care um, and sends him back out anyway. Um, to finish the job. Uh, back at CGS, Orga is severely disciplined and beaten by First Corps leader Haida Gunnel uh, for luring Gallerhorn's forces toward the retreating First Corps. Um, there's a little background here that wasn't in the summary, but basically the First Corps like tries to abandon the Third Corps, even though um, yeah. they purport to be like doing a pincer attack, but they're really just abandoning them. Yeah, and the um, first corps is is predominantly like adults, and mm-hmm. the third corps is these like child soldiers. Uh, um, so Orga takes this beating and then uh, immediately begins plotting a coup d'état against the first corps uh, because the uh, the company head has has already fled um, in uh, the prior episode, so he's gone. So um, Orga yeah. sees this chance to to take over the company, basically. Um. Mikazuki uh, awakes in the cockpit of Barbados. The fight's over. Um, He's back in the hangar um, and is disconnected. Um, There's a thing about how it'd be dangerous to disconnect him while he's asleep. Right, exactly. If you die in in Barbados, you die in real life. Um, Yeah, that's true. That's true of like (laughs) most... That's true. That's true of most uh, mechs (laughs) I've found. Yeah, if you... <laughs> I was going for the Matrix and it reference. It didn't really work. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, so they're uh, tallying up their casualties. Casualties have been worse for uh, for first corps than third. Um, and uh, Mikazuki is disturbed by this, but Yukinojo praises him for doing a good job. Uh, meanwhile, Kudelia um, is blaming herself for the death of, um, of the CGS members, uh, many of whom are, uh, ma- many of whom that died are children, which we, um, which we see in detail. Mm-hmm. Um, but Mikazuki arrives and basically shuts her down, um, and is like, you know, you're arrogant, uh, and haughty for, uh, ass- like assuming that this is all just about you. Um, even though it kind of is, uh, yeah. uh, Cordelia then, uh, leaves the room and is like processing the shame that she feels after Mikazuki's, um, admonishment. Uh, eventually, um, meeting, uh, Atra, Cookie and Cracker, um, who, uh, Cookie and Cracker are Biscuit's, um, younger sisters. Uh, and then Atra is um, a girl from uh, a nearby town in Kreisa or Kreese, um, who has uh, who's friends with Mikazuki and and has this um, big crush on him. Uh, Orga meets Mikazuki later that day uh, to gain his approval on the coup d'état, and Mikazuki agrees to go along with the plan without hesitation, um, and says that he'll follow Orga anywhere. Um, this is a kind of a key dynamic for them, um, yeah. which we'll see more of. 
Uh, meanwhile, uh, in the background of all of this, uh, two Gellerhorn officers, McGillis and Galileo, not Galileo, um, arrive at Gellerhorn's Mars headquarters for an audit of the Mars branch, um, which again is headed up by uh, Major Coral. I think I'm I'm looking this up. So the the Japanese is Kuroyusei, um for so I think it's maybe like uh Kreisei or something would is what it's supposed to be. Um anyway, I was trying to look that up. I think it is like a a say at the end though. It's a you say. Uh so it's like uh ku then like ryu say. Um, as like the three syllables. So, say. Yeah, say. Yeah. Okay. So, like, say maybe. say. Anyway. Um, okay. I want to look that one up because that one was bothering me particularly. Yeah. Uh, We've been known to... We're not always 100% on our pronunciations. Um... Yeah, I try to often listen to the Japanese because I have like a, a, you know, if I'm really paying attention, I can pick up up uh, on a lot of this stuff. Um, but some of the stuff like comes at you fast. Um, yeah, I know that we fucked up pronunciations in the past, and I I own our yeah. sins. Um, yeah, but um, we try to get them yeah. right. Yeah, I might try to more intentionally look up stuff when I know it's going to come up. But um, anyway, uh, I'm still going to say Gatlahern because I can't undo that uh saying Gyaler horn just feels bad to me <laughs> it's like a horn but Gyaler. Um, what's so hard about that yeah um so episode three uh glorious demise while kedalia aids katra or atra cookie and cracker on uh, preparing dinner for all the cgs employees orga adds a sedative to the first corps food knocking them unconscious when Hayata and the other members of the First Corps awaken to find themselves in zip ties, Orga declares that he is in charge and the children are taking control of CGS. Um, when Hayata and Sasai oppose Orga, Mikazuchi, uh, Mikazuki, um, I'll probably just call him Mika most of the time. Uh, mm-hmm. That's what Orga usually says. Uh, but Mika shoots them both dead. Um, there's this like great exchange in this moment of like, uh, you know, if you let us go now, I'll spare your life. And Orga being like, I don't think you understand how this is working right now. I'm the one who gets to talk about sparing lives. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, also, as a note, there was a part very early on when I was watching Double Zeta where I was like, IBO is Double Zeta if these kids just kill Bright right at the beginning and steal the ship. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway. Bright is less of a shit than the, than these guys. Oh, uh, for sure, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, Orca gives the remaining adults the choice to work for him or leave the company and take severance pay. Um, after the adults make their choice and severance pay is distributed, the remember, uh, remaining members of CGS are left with only three months worth of funding. Uh, so there's one guy who wants to take severance pay, who's like the the accountant, and they have him stay on just long enough to like run the numbers for him for them um and then i think he leaves i don't think he sticks around um but uh there's one person who sticks around uh so one of the former members of the first corps chooses to stay um his name is toto mirkonen uh he has this uh fucking 
Charlie Chaplin Hitler mustache. Uh, <laughs> you look at him and you're like, you, you just know this guy is bad news. Yeah. Um, so uh, one thing I had to edit with these synopses is there's the part later on where he betrays them. And they it's in the synopses. They talk about how like, uh, you know, the Tekadon, uh, you know, the people like, are like Orga is like surprised by this and is like shocked to see the Yatlahern forces. I'm like, I feel like they had their doubts. All of this was just a test to see if he was gonna, you know, sell them out or not. Because if he wasn't, then it was gonna be easier for them to get to Earth. Yeah, Orga. Um, or, yeah, no, that, that's yeah. just incorrect. Because Orga is like confidently like we basically we knew you were gonna betray us. Yes. <laughs> um. <laughs> so. Yeah, you know the biggest edits I had to do with this was a lot of reading in of motivation that I didn't agree with. But anyway, yeah, we have um, an eternal war against plot synopses here. Yes, but, uh, <laughs> but I still use them because it's better than having to write all of this myself. Big props to uh, great, uh, great Gundam Project for doing that work. Um, I often cannot. Um, I did do it for Ray Earth. It was pretty fun for Ray Earth, but it took a lot of it took a lot of effort. Um, so anyway, Toto chooses to stay. Um, he suggests that CGS hand over, uh, Cordelia, Ina Bernstein to Gatlahern in exchange for money. Um, but their meeting is interrupted. Uh, Crank Zent has returned to CGS and he's bearing a red flag on his grays. Um, which I don't remember this, but it was in the synopsis that Yuki Nojo recalls that this is like a request for an honorable duel. Uh, as a tradition dating back to the Calamity War. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't remember that part about the tradition dating back to the Calamity War, but maybe I missed it because I was jotting a note or something. I think they just say um, it's an old like tradition. I don't yeah. know if it's specified. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, Crank, uh, or I, I keep wondering if it's supposed to be Crank, but uh, Crank, um, confirms this when he openly asks for a duel against CGS's mightiest warrior, Mikazuki. Um, and he also demands that if he wins the duel, CGS hand over Kudelia, ending the feud between CGS and Gatlahern. Uh, Toto's like, um, you know, we shouldn't do this. We should just hand over the girl right now. Uh, and Kudelia is also like, I should just turn myself in because I don't want more people to die. Um, but Orga refuses that. Um, and, uh, I don't know if this is to, uh, refuse yeah, refuses to trust Gallagher. I guess like doesn't there's think multiple that reasons, would, but yeah, there's multiple yeah. reasons. He for the, he refuses to turn to turn yeah. in. Um, Mikasuki agrees to duel. Uh, goes out to sortie in the the gun number betas. Whoever wrote these synopses loves saying sortie, which I understand. It's a fun word. <laughs> um, but they used it so much. I I cut out some of the instances because it was constant. Um, anyway, uh, Crank regret. Gret's having to fight a child, uh, but Mikazuki assures him that he's more than just a child and will win to their, their bout, um, basically to, to honor everyone who was lost in the previous battle. Um, they clash, you know, you get some sick fighting going on here. Um, Kudelia is watching and she's like, wow, that's a sick fight. Um, I wish I had the same degree of strength in my political war as he has on the battlefield. Uh, cause he's doing some sick moves right now. It's really cool. Uh, the fights in the circle. Uh, anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, also, uh, in this, this moment and her like feeling this determination, um, Orca, uh, is inspired, gets the idea for the, the new name for CGS, They're renaming it to Tekadon, which is the iron flower that will never will and never die. Um, 
Mikazuki eventually defeats uh, Crank, who refuses to return to Gatlahern, having failed his mission. Um, he's afraid if he goes back again and is, has not succeeded, that other soldiers will have to pay for his actions. Um, and so he requests that Mikazuki ends his life here. Um, and Mikazuki just, you know, defining feature so far of this Gundam boy, uh, he will pull the trigger of the gun without uh, a moment's hesitation. Um, he, he is constantly willing to do violence like from the get-go mm-hmm. um i compared him to uh in battles without uh the the second movie um the like main character there basically rises through the ranks because uh he's a successful uh successful assassin uh, and like hitman mostly just because he's not afraid to to pull the trigger of the gun like so many other people in that series are like shaking and just like holding the gun out and pulling it like multiple times in fear. Um, and he like very quickly becomes like comfortable with firing a gun. Um, and Mikazuki reminds me a lot of that, like very specific vibe in that, in that show. This, this series in general, I think pulls from some Yakuza stuff, um, in the way that like the, the organizations develop. But anyway, um, we also get, there's just a plethora of names, but, uh, Eugene, um, and Toto, uh, so Toto being the, the shitty Hitler stash guy, uh, Eugene being one of the, the older third kids, core. um, yeah, but one of the third core people, they confront Orga about opposing Yatlerhorn being like, this is, they're like in control. They're the, they're the, the top dogs in the, you know, in a lot of the like political landscape right now. Um, we are, we are picking fight with like a, a a fight with a huge dog right now. Uh, we sh- we should rethink this. Um, but Kudelia is like interrupting this and requests that the newly formed uh, Tekadon take her to Earth with the help of her sponsor Noblesse Gordon. Um, and Toto comments that Gordon is a filthy rich man, and people are like, "Well, that's great because we'll remain employed." <laughs> <laughs> um, the end of that episode. Yeah. Uh, episode four, The Price of Life. Uh, Orga, Biscuit, and the other members of the newly formed Tekadon uh, prepare for their upcoming journey to Earth. Um, Biscuit debriefs the central members of Tekadon with a plan to hire an escort to Earth in order to avoid Gellerhorn space routes. Um, there's, like, there's, again, there's reasons for this. Uh, suffice it to say, like, they need a guide to go to earth. Um, yeah. Toto suggests the, the main routes to earth are, uh, controlled by Yatlahern. So it's like very hard to, to just freely travel those routes. Yeah. And to use like the secondary routes that are available to them. Like there's, uh, like technical and there's navigational and like bureaucratic issues. It seems, um, so they yeah. need like uh you know like a lot this- of them are also controlled by other uh factions and things is, is part of it and they're also like more difficult to get to and travel through yeah. um than this like well established like people are supposed to go through the Gatlahern route route um, uh so helpfully toto suggests that they use the orcus company as a guide um claiming he has close ties with their leader uh, and then, uh, luckily, the Orcus company is willing to do it, so they agree to do the job um, in exchange for 45% of Tekadon's pay, um, which is high, but um, ex- acceptable to Tekadon. Yeah. Uh, if you get prep- them there safely, all the way to Earth, like, 
That's right. Which still the Orcus company is definitely yeah. going to do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and the sh- then the show's over. They get second ep- you know, episode five and six, they get to Earth and it's over. Yeah. Uh, in preparation uh, for this successful outcome, Orga sends Akihiro and Dexter uh, to a civilian spaceport to register Tekadon's ship, the Isaribi. Um, it So we were talking about this before we started recording. Um, the original name uh, that like the CGS company owner gives it is Will-O-The-Wisp, and they rename it Isaribi. Yeah. Um, also, Akihiro and Dexter. Um, Dexter is the accountant, and Akihiro is um, another... Um, he, he's another member of, I think he's in the third core. Um, yeah. Although I'm he's, not he's certain like, at this point. He's definitely a, yeah, he's in the third core. He's definitely, um, older. Um, we'll, we'll get a little bit, uh, about him in it. I forget if it's in this one or another one. Oh There's yeah. Some it's, differences it's about to come between, yeah, yeah. Between him and the others. So but we'll get there. Part of it is I think he's been around longer because, so this next line uh, before Orga sends them off, he returns Akihiro, uh, this contract, that's the human degree, uh, debris contract, which means mm-hmm. um, he, he was just found as human debris. That's like his class then, which means that he was sold to Maruba, who's the owner of CGS for very little money um, and is essentially like a slave to the company. And so by, yeah. by handing this contract over, he has set him and also the, the other like human debris uh, owned by CGS free. Um, and so I think some of it is that like, he is older because he probably came in as a young kid, but has been, has stuck around longer, but like, he's not even probably going to age out of this in a way because of like this, his class is human debris, yeah. but he seems like he's maybe a little bit older than, than, um, Orga, but also not as old as like some of the first core people. Yeah, for sure. Um, at the Gellerhorn Mars branch space headquarters, McGillis and Gileo continue their audit. Uh, it's not fully explained at this point what's, what they are investigating, um, but clearly there's something to find because Major Coral is sweating it. Um, he tries to thwart their examination by um, sabotaging the data and then trying to bribe the duo, um, but McGillis easily fixes the data and uh, shuts down his bribery attempt uh, quite coldly. Uh, afterwards, the tandem makes their way down to the surface of Mars to investigate uh, Gjallarhorn's missing company, uh, the team that was sent to eliminate CGS. McGillis has received reports of Cudelia's disappearance uh, and of a secret meeting between her father Norman and Major Coral. Uh, he and Gilea put together uh, start to put together the um, the events uh, that Coral must have targeted Cudelia, um, which explains the missing company and Coral's suspicious behavior. Um, basically, Coral uh, wanted to capture Cudelia to have this big win so that he could, um, so that it would kind of like sweep the this other stuff that he's trying to hide under the rug. Yeah. Um, it gives him more But also, Cudelia. Uh, Coral is like more invested in the idea of um, killing her. And like sort of making her a uh, an empty martyr for the Mars independence movement. Mm-hmm. Um, this will come up as like a uh, McGillis has different ideas about how this should be handled. Um, anyway, uh, meanwhile on Mars, uh, Mikazuki and Biscuit take Kudelia and her aide Fumiton to a cornfield, 
Uh, it turns out that the, the farm uh, is run by Biscuit's grandmother, Sakura Pretzel. Um, Just a whole a bunch one. of food people. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, I didn't realize the, that, that her name was Pretzel. I had to I know. process that one for a second. I know some people are like, oh, the fat kid's named Biscuit. Um, but I, I think in general, like, not much is made of, like, Biscuit being, like, a an overweight character in the show. Uh, I think they treat him pretty well. And him just being a part of a family that's just all food-themed, like, makes the, the name feel less uh, a dig at him specifically, too. Mm. Um, so, but I know some people are, like, annoyed that the, the fat character is named Biscuit. Um, but also, like, his, his adorable... Uh, twin sisters i think they're twins cookie and cracker they're just like cute little kids so yeah um, um well i guess we'll see where where that goes um but uh at the farm um mikazuki is conversing with um kudelia um and explains that the field barely makes any money um and that really the livelihood of biscuit's family depends on his income um so now that Kudelia has hired them to smuggle um, her to Earth, everyone in Tekadon will have a job, um, and so the, um, the livelihood will uh, of his family will be maintained. Yeah, uh, I know that you don't check uh, Twitter, Connor. I just want to send you real quick um, this Photoshop that I made and I posted on our Twitter account uh, based around the scene. Um, I send it in our in our chat so you can see it. What what is this uh what is this a reference to? So do you know the the arrested development uh development bit of um I mean it's one banana Michael what could it cost ten dollars uh <laughs> so I photoshopped I put over um the why am I drawing a blank on the name of the mom in the arrested development now it's like escaped me Lucille Bluth um I photoshopped over her face with uh Kudelia and it's I mean it's one ear of corn Mika what could it cost 200 dollar because he's like how much do you think that this ear of corn costs yeah. and she's like 200 dollar um and then he's like no like five pounds of this costs like 50 <laughs> yeah I, <laughs> or whatever I've never seen Arrested Development or I've never like okay. watched it I've seen bits and also um, you're not online so you don't know this meme right exactly um I appreciate it though with the explanation. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is like, um, this is a very interesting scene, um, with a lot of, uh, like class, uh, subtext, obviously. Um, uh, Mikazuki so ends with Mika basically thanking Kudelia for, um, for hiring Tekadon and, uh, by extension, like supporting their, their families and whatnot. Yeah. Um, Later on, McGillis and Gailio arrive on the farm, uh, nearly hitting Cookie and Cracker with their car. Uh, Mika, like, reactively attacks Gailio. Um, yeah, nearly choking him to death. <laughs> um, I think this is, I think the synopsis is right about this. Um, but uh, it's quickly stopped by uh, Sakura. I, I threw in the nearly choking him to death. <laughs> that okay. part was me. Because I was like, I want to emphasize how much it's like, it's not just like he like runs up and punches him he like grabs his throat and is like uh intensely squeezing it and when he finally when they like not even like mcgillis and gylio like uh you know sakura's like stop basically and he lets go and then like gylio is just like coughing and out of it for the most of the scene <laughs> yeah he's like yeah immobilized yeah um 
so Sakura stops Mika. Um, Megillus, very composed, um, apologizes for the incident, um, and then starts questioning um, the assembled uh, Tekadon members about the battle that took place earlier uh, nearby. They basically try to play dumb. Um, Biscuit is like cleverly trying to, um, you know, admit knowledge of the battle, but like, you know, in so doing, um, dispel the suspicion that, that they were the ones who were involved. Yeah. Um, and, uh, McGillis more or less having received the information that he needed, uh, plus some additional information, um, such as like, uh, noticing the implants, um, in Mikazuki's spine, um, then he uh, leaves, uh, and then Mika and the others return to base, uh, where the new logo for Tekadon is unveiled, um, and it is a, a red flower designed by Ride Ride Moss, who um, I don't know it doesn't when, get named, but yeah, it doesn't get named, but is one of the children in Third Core. Yeah, um, there are definitely a few times where uh, a name was in the synopsis, and I'm like, I believe you, but. Uh, I don't remember the names of all of these kids. So, yeah. <laughs> um, but I'm sure that like that kid will get named later or is named in some supplementary material or whatever. So, um, episode five, beyond the red sky before finally leaving on their mission to escort Cordelia to earth. Tegadon meets with the Orcas company to finalize preparations for a safe escort along non Laharn transportation routes. Um, the day of Kudelia's escort mission, Atra Mixta, uh, Mixta um, who again was the, the girl who was like helping out in the kitchen earlier. Uh, she arrives, says that she quit her job at the store that she was working at um, and wants to be hired as the, the company's cook. Um, Orga agrees to hire Atra and the members of Tekadun Celebrate going on their first official mission. Um, I'm going to let a cat in. Cause it's that time of night. Mm. Um, let me see. Where was I? Uh, meanwhile, in space, uh, major coral decides to bring McGillis and Galileo on board. Uh, talks a little bit more openly about, you know, um, wants to, to capture Cordelia by ambushing her transport shuttle. Um, and this is where we get the, the most like, um, explicit articulation of like major coral would be happy to kill her. Um, you know, seems like would also be fine capturing her, but, uh, seems to just want to kill her for the most part. And McGillis is like, we, we need to make sure that we capture her alive. It'd be better to have her like singing in the palm of her hand to pacify the Martian people rather than like creating a, a martyr situation that might be harder to control. Um, as I think primarily his argument. Um, later that day, the members of Tekadon take off into space to meet with the Orcus company, uh, at the space station, but they find that Yatlahern is waiting for them. This is where they, where the like synopsis is like, they're surprised to find. And I'm like, no, they're not. They knew this was coming. Um, again, I think a lot of this is like, if, if Toto wasn't lying to them, then they do have an easy route to earth. So they might as well like see this through and test it out, but they have their, they have very strong doubts going into this and they have backup plans. Mm -hmm. Um, but, uh, so they find that Gatlahern is waiting for them just out of Mars's, uh, orbit. Um, Gatlahern demands that Tekadon hand over Kudelia, uh, Eugene and Shino, you know, 
are basically like uh, apprehending Toto here, confirming that he betrayed them. Uh, they subdue him. Um, three. Uh, so this is where we get the the like commander um, graces, the the Schwab graces. Um, at least like one of them, if not multiple, in this fight. Um, but they attack. Uh, it is um, I think McGillis, uh, Galio, and Ein. I think are the three. Um, if I remember correctly, I think um, Coral and Ayn go out first. Oh yeah, and then maybe. Coral gets yeah, and then killed. Yeah, Coral Coral gets uh, fucked up pretty much immediately. Um, <laughs> yeah, and uh, yeah, at a certain point, McGillis and uh, Galio go out as well. Um, Galio has like a, his own special grace. Now that I'm remembering it, um, it's like a slightly different color. Um, Anyway, um, yeah, they basically, uh, Mikazuki goes out in the, uh, Barbados and is, you know, while this is happening, like McGillis is observing like, oh yeah, it seems to be using the Alea Visionana system, um, can like dodge everything. Uh, I think this is also the episode where you get the, um, like he identifies that, um, that Mika is like less aware of the the thrusters because like a backpack pack is not a thing that's a part of the the human body, mm-hmm. um, and so he's like less aware, like uh, intensely aware of that as a thing to to dodge with. So he gets one shot in on the the thrusters. Um, but anyway, uh, in general though, Mika is fully able to to handle his own. Um, while this is happening, Akihira arrives in the Isaribi. Um, allowing Orga and the others to board it safely and engage in battle with the Orcus Company ship. Um, Akihiro also goes out in the, the, what was, uh, Crank Zent's graze, um, that they have, like, fixed up for him. So he goes out to support Mikazuki. Uh, there's this great memo where he throws the, uh, we haven't talked about it, but the, the, uh, Barbados has this, like, kind of club thing where then, um, what he'll often do with it is, uh, when it's like, you know, using almost like a spear, then like the, the main part of the club will like slide down towards the hand and like a spike comes out. So m- multiple people die this way. Um, so, uh, yeah, has the great moment of throwing that to, to Mika. Uh, it's always cool when, when that weapon get, goes into play, uh, enjoy it as a weapon. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, the the Grays doesn't have the lay of uh vision on a system and so um he's not able to be quite as like agile as Mika in space. Um But um, you know, takes out uh Coral Conrad's uh forces Gileo and McGillis into the sortie. Um and uh Wallace is happening uh, the, the Isaribi is at a disadvantage because of its position. There's a lot of like naval battle stuff that goes on with the ships in the show, which I think is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's currently at a disadvantage and, um, they develop this strategy where they, there's a, a mining satellite. Uh, it's like a asteroid thing. Uh, they go out there, they, uh, attach to it with like the grappling hook sort of thing and then use it to like slingshot around. Um, and they have to have like somebody to, to, um, free the, the grappling hook and everything. Um, but 
to to basically do like a very sudden turn and be able to face the the orca ship head on um and then kind of escape by going the opposite direction that they're going um so they do this like uh exciting you know low probability um came up with this idea plan uh it's great um and uh mika and akihiro uh you know are able to get back to the ship and everything um after the battle uh Tekadon sends toto over to the gatlahern uh ship and uh is like in a, a escape thing basically um and it like has written on them like on him like this appears to be one of yours um Yeah, this is this is a great episode, episode five, mm-hmm. um, for multiple reasons. Um, that takes us into episode six, which is titled "As for Them." Um, after narrowly escaping from Gellerhorn, uh, Tekadon discusses where to go next. Now that they are functionally stranded in space, um, Orcus has betrayed them, so they don't have the guide that they need. Um, meanwhile, Megillus and Gellerhorn decide not to pursue Tekadon. Um, now that it's confirmed that Kudalia is with them, um, and thus it is assured that, um, they will be traveling to earth and so, so will she. Um, so they know exactly where she's going. Uh, while leadership ponders Tekadon's next move, the maintenance team works on repairing Barbados. Um, Yukinojo has a hard time because it's a very old, uh, mobile suit from before the Calamity War, um, which was 300 years ago. Um, we get, uh, quite a bit more about the Calamity War in this episode. Um, yeah. Basically explaining that, um, it was a war, uh, between, uh, factions on Earth. It seems to be staged primarily on Earth. Um, but also involving, like, the outer spheres and colonized planets. Um, yeah. fought it's like with some sort suits. of war between, like, uh, Earth and, like, the, the space colonies. Yeah, wow. <laughs> I wonder where I've heard of this before. This is a new development for uh, the Gundam series. And also the moon is severely damaged. This is another thing we learn here, I think. Yeah. Um, um we also learn that um only seventy-two so there there is an ob- oblique reference made here, um, which I'm sure will be clarified later. Um that the Barbados is one of seventy-two um, yeah. Gundam frames which fought and in the war and which are basically the, like super weapons. Yeah. And the wording is slightly vague um, here. I, I think the, like, I think they're saying that there's like 72 total frames. Correct. Uh, that was my impression as well. But also the wording was vague enough that I wasn't sure if it was 72 are known to have existed, that like maybe there were more. Um, I mean, I guess either way, even if they're saying, only 72 existed um it's possible that they're working off their current knowledge but um yeah yeah so there's it's somewhat vague here um yeah but uh it, it is established that barbados is, was one of 72 um and it's also uh indicated that um just having 72 of these gundams like could have destroyed the entire earth um and that was kind of the threat of the Calamity War. Um, so yeah. to get, give you a scale of the the power of these Gundams. Um, uh, so nonetheless, it was a long time ago, and Yuki Nojo uh, doesn't, um, isn't familiar with fixing this stuff. Um, no one is. Uh, 
jumping back to the Orga uh, and the Tekadon leadership, um, still debating uh, who they're going to get as their guide. Um, and Orga decides that the next move must be to contact Teiwaz, um, which is a, um, again, not fully established here, um, but a uh, kind of organization um, based out of Jupiter that is rumored to be an organized crime group, or at least involved in um, organized crime activities. Uh, after some discussion um, about this possibility, Kudelia uh, leaves uh, to go help Mika, uh, Mika and Atra deliver food throughout the ship. Um, in so doing, she learns that Mika has little to no interest in... Uh, I, I would actually revise this. Like, Mika d- is not interested to be part of planning or strategy um, because he doesn't feel like he can understand it, and also because he has total trust in Orga um, that Orga will... Uh, make whatever is the right decision. Um, They then kind of discuss um, Kudelia um, talks to Mika about her, her own mission, which is to liberate the people of Mars um, from earth sphere. And again, we're getting more background about um, the geo, the geopolitics of the universe and IBO. Um, But that um, earth is basically divided into four, um, four nations yeah. or four unions. Um, yeah, economic which, blocks is used. Yeah, oh. which administer um, different parts of Mars, and that um, somehow this like uh, colonial partition of of Mars is causing a lot of uh, problems for the Martian people and resulting in widespread disorder and poverty. Um, so, uh, yeah, Kudelia's mission is to to um, gain economic independence for, for Mars as a whole. Um, she also discovers that Mika is illiterate um, and not only Mika, but actually most of the third core uh, children. Um, and so she decides to remedy this by teaching Mika and other members of Tekadon how to read. Um, there's some nuances to this scene, but this is an adequate summary. Yeah. Um, at uh, he he's like particularly interested in it because um when he's asking uh Yukinojo about like repairs, uh Yukinojo's like, Yeah, when there's like heavy lifting, we can let you know, but like right now we're doing like fine tuning and stuff and you can't really help with that because you can't read. Um yeah. and so I think some of it is like he wants to be able to help out more with like maintaining the Gundam. This yeah, I think we'll talk about this later. Um so there's there's nuances to this scene that, that are but like you're pointing out, definitely yeah. important. But then she's like, oh, if you can read, you can like uh, expand your horizons by like uh, reading essays and like writing things, and, you know, writing letters to people and all of this stuff. Um, and his his like perspe- perception, I think, or his like uh, goal is like far more practical to the moment than than hers, which is still, I think, like a, you know, its own valuable, uh, valued, valuable. I got stuck between valid and valuable, um, but it own like and you just you went well. with valiant, <laughs> valiant goal. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, um, <laughs> at uh, at Gellerhorn's Mars Branch headquarters. Meanwhile, Begillus has taken over for the late Coral Conrad. Uh, he questions Ayn about his encounter with CGS, hoping to learn more about Barbados. Um, 
Ayn tells them a bunch of stuff we already know, uh, which basically they weren't prepared for um, the style of combat that Barbados, uh, Barbados is able to engage in uh, and therefore got their asses completely handed to them. Uh, he then, uh, Ayn then asks to join Gellerhorn's pursuit team uh, in order to avenge Lieutenant Crank. Um, and McGillis says, I'll think about it. Meanwhile, back on board the Isaribi, uh, Biscuit suggests that Tekadon abandon their journey to Earth. Um, well, he's, Biscuit is questioning Orga's, like, plan, basically. Yeah. Um, because it appears to be extremely, like, reckless and he doesn't understand, um, why Orga is like continually forging ahead with like extreme and reckless decisions, like one after the other. Um, uh, Orga basically is, um, refuses to, uh, go back on his word to Cordelia. Um, he doesn't want to, he refuses to stop protecting her. Um, and he, uh, reveals to Biscuit that, um, the reason that he's able to do this and the reason that, that he continues to do it um, is because of Mikazuki, uh, who's looking up to him and who he also um, believes in uh, that can can get him there to the end of the road, whatever he's chosen. Yeah. Uh, but it's also this certain like, you know, because we've seen so much uh, of uh, Mika just being willing to. Uh, do what Orca says and be the one who's going to pull the trigger. Um, like notably, he's the one pulling the trigger when they do the coup. Um, you know, he's the one going out in the Gundam and everything. Um, and then this is this like uh slight uh complication or like inversion on that of like um Orga saying like every time that Mika looks at me with his eyes and says like what do we do next? Um, I feel like I need to be able to like have something and have yeah. something that's going to be like uh worth like what he wants from me um it can't just be like small things it's like we have to keep dreaming big um yeah that's there's... he looks at me wanting wanting this like greatness and so i have to continue to do it yeah there's a sense of expectation that um is is revealed revealed here that's like heavily influencing and motivating um orga for sure yeah um, later, Orga meets up with Mika, uh, and they agree to keep protecting Cordelia, uh, but are interrupted by the return of Maruba RK, the president of CGS, who fled back in episode one, um, who sends Tekadon a transmission demanding that they return his spaceship. And that's the end of episode six. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we got to space. We got some cool space stuff. Um, yeah, a lot happens in these uh these first 6 episodes. Um Yeah. I think for me um I I want to start like right at the beginning uh because yeah. I love the first two scenes of the series. I yeah. think there's I mean a the lot. first scene in particular is like um significant, I think. Definitely. You know. Um, um but you know, so we'll start with like the title of the show. So Iron Blooded Orphans. So we have three, like, I think key 
symbols here um, that we get immediately in the first scene uh, where we see um, Mika and Orga are injured. It's not explained why or how, um, but they're bleeding. Um, the the blood is like uh, shown prominently multiple times. Uh, and then we get the, uh, the gun, um, which we see Mika firing. Um, so again, we have the orphans, uh, we have the blood and then we have the iron, which the, the first instance yeah. of, of the iron is, um, the gun. Um, although iron, um, comes to take on a, a lot more connotations. Um, I, well, all of these symbols do, but, um, iron comes to take on a lot more con- connotations than just a gun. Um, we also get the, uh, Mika's question to Orga, which is what should I do next or what should we do next? Um, so, uh, setting up some, um, I think key, uh, tensions early on, um, not only with them, but also with, um, the idea of, uh, or the concept of orphans, um, being somehow outside of uh, a standard like uh, structure or social structure, um, lacking direction, like lost, listless, um, but also like uh, free in this way uh, because they're, they're outside of the structure. Um, We get uh, Mikazuki like firing the gun, but the gun recoils too strong which um, knocks him back. Uh, so right away we get this, um, the classic Gundam trope of like child soldiers or children using weapons. Yeah. Uh, but foregrounding like immediately to aspects, which is um, this sense that it's unnatural for children to use guns um, or somehow this, um, this like this issue um that that's somehow unnatural for children to be doing this because um, he can't handle this recoil. So it knocks him back um, foreshadowing the, um, you know, things with piloting uh, Barbados where um, he can pilot it, but it's damaging his body. Um, yeah. Every time this is, didn't get mentioned in the synopses, but every time he pilots, he's like bleeding from the nose. Um Yeah. And um, and then we also get tying into that. Um, so not only this idea that it's uh, unnatural for children to use guns, um, but also the consequences of, of it happening. Um, you see them like having suffered some sort of violence. Um, they're injured and bloody. Um, I think it's a striking image because um, you don't typically – just to open the show with like injured, bloody children. Um, it, it's, uh, attention grabbing, um, and uh, yeah. shocking. Um, and I think IBO, um, it's, it's very significant that IBO does that so strongly, um, right off the bat, um, because it, it really is asking the viewer to, to grapple with this immediately. Um, yeah, there's a, like people will laugh about um because there's there's a 
some people will say like, oh, Iron-Blooded Orphans, that is the Gundam show that's about child soldiers. And like GGP, which, uh, you know, has not gotten here yet, um, does not, has not like watched the show is like, well, that's just like a stupid thing to say. Cause that's Gundam. Like all Gundam right. is about child soldiers. Um, and that's correct. It, it is stupid to be like, or not stupid, but it is like, um, I don't, I don't want to be like quite that dismissive, but like, you know, all of Gundam has been about child soldiers. There is also something that is more explicit and in your face for somebody, especially like a, a regular anime watching audience that's maybe not deep diving into the themes of the show, where you watch like, uh, you know, Double Zeta. Let's no, lots, lots of people don't watch Double Zeta because they hear it's bad and they're wrong. It's great, um, but like people, <laughs> yes, like if you go back is, and you watch excellent. the, yeah, if you go back and you watch the like first Mobile Suit Gundam, um, that is a show about child soldiers but it's not being explicit about it in quite the same way especially from the get-go it's like the the son of a guy who developed this like cool robot and then the kid gets in the robot to help out or whatever and of course what's happening there is a child soldier but it's not like foregrounding it in the same way that this is with like immediately showing you like a a kid pulling a trigger of a gun often like having the kids shoot guns um does not happen right away in a gundam show uh like early universal century stuff, especially um, it will happen. Those kids will shoot guns, but the like robot, like uh, distances, some of that violence, violence, I think for viewers in the way that this wants to immediately give you um, Mika, not only pilots the Gundam, but Mika shoots a gun. And that's Absolutely. actually what you see him doing first. And then you see it immediately paired with here's the Gundam, yes. uh, this like looming hulking beast. Um, exactly. Yeah, and we we cut immediately to the second scene, which yeah, um, yeah, you, uh, you were steps ahead of me there, um, because the gun <laughs> then transforms into the Gundam, which is this yeah monolithic um, presence that's like looming over the both of them, um, which is uh, I, I think like heightening and um, yeah. a- again like emphasizing or. Um, think more accurately to say like deepening um the uh the meaning of like the symbol of the iron or the gun or um the the weapon in essence and what it like means for like mika and orga yeah um i mean like i i think um, Tomino, I forget who specifically, but like, uh, the name Gundam is a portmanteau of gun and freedom. And the beginning of the show is showing you like a gun that is helping to, f- is both a dangerous thing for this child to have, but also seems to be freeing them from a dangerous situation. They are like beaten and bloody and the, the gun saves them in that moment. Mm-hmm. But it is also a, a terrifying thing. And then immediately shows you the, the gun freedom. Gundam. <laughs> yeah. Um, um and yeah, and so immediately like in these first two scenes we have some of these like core themes and tensions um yeah. that are like set up um or established pretty firmly uh yeah. a- around these these major symbols. And again, um, I think also uh in a way that's like 
is is maybe helpful for people. At once, I think it's helpful for new audiences coming to Gundam because I think it is more explicit about these things uh, right from the get-go where it's like harder to immediately ignore them. Um, but then the double-edged sword is that some people see it and they're like, well, this is the one that's about it. And it's like, no, that's... <laughs> This yeah. isn't the only one that's about it. It's just, uh, I mean, it, it is it about for it. People to ignore. Yeah, yeah, it is about it in a way that's very like explicit. Um, yeah, I think, I, I think this is just recapitulating what you said already. But the UC stuff is like extremely about it. I mean, it's the core thematic, one of the core thematic concerns. Um, yeah, and it is like deeply and extensively portrayed. Um, but the the ways that it's portrayed um, and developed um, and then some of like the tonal and thematic contours uh, around it are like a little different um, in ways that I don't think it is necessarily softer. Uh, the, in you see, um, yeah, but it's like, I- it's not as immediately like visceral uh and confrontational yeah the w- the way that i think about it is that like um you you kind of need to know how to read a tomino show and i think his like shows teach you how to read his shows yes um but if you're not like paying attention in the same way uh it, it's easy to like not develop that skill which is distinct from just other anime whereas i think Iron-Blooded Orphans is talking about a lot of the same things, but is doing it in a way that is more direct for just the average anime-going audience that is not going to take the same amount of time to like learn how to watch a Tomino show. For sure. Um, but it's also engaging in the same like language. Like, yeah. You, like Tomino Gundam like has its own like thematic and symbolic like logic and language. And yeah. IBO is like very much like in in dialogue with all of that yeah um uh, so anyway yeah. we've only talked about the first like two scenes <laughs> <laughs> yeah there are there are very like significant scenes though yeah no um, i'm, ju- I'm for, just joking just we're gonna be here for six hours <laughs> yeah no. we could um i think the uh the setting um just doing like high level stuff uh initial yeah. views of mars uh specifically we kind of see that territory around cgs and it's basically this blasted out like wasteland yeah um we see cgs which is a labor camp where children are being exploited yeah um and like eventually the view of mars it it does widen so you know we see like um, the farm the farm exactly we see some like the town uh although the you know the town's extremely run down but um, we see a more complete picture, uh, but it is interesting that the first view of Mars that the viewer gets is this like narrowed, but, um, extreme, uh, vision, which, um, is immediately establishing like this sense of brutality and barrenness. Um, yeah. and, uh, I, I think one thing that's happening with this is, um, the viewer is, um, the viewer's uh, like perspective is um, mirroring that of uh, the space rats or the the third core. Yeah, the ma- yeah, 
That's um, again, that's a thing that didn't come up in the synapses either. Um, but that like space rats is often used to refer to like the, these orphan kids who become soldiers and things. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, we get this, like our introduction to the world is this, um, we get these two scenes, um, where these theme, the various themes are evoked. And then we get this like hopeless, <laughs> brutal vision of, of this land that, um, there's no vegetation. Um, it's blasted out, like defined by combat. Um, and so we're situated in, in this viewpoint of, um, of identification with the, the third core, um, in this, like what we will eventually come to, to see is this like battle with, um, hopelessness, um, or a battle against like, um, for life in like an extremely hostile world. Yeah. Uh, seeing the farmland also feels like after you've seen so much of this, like, uh, wasteland Mars, uh, also feels like its own kind of battle for life. Uh, like there's like work being done to create this farm. Um, that's so much of that scene is around the like actual work of a farm. Um, and you know, everybody else kind of doing it and then like Kudelia doing it, but also having a little bit of the, the like city girl who goes to the farm and is like, Oh, isn't this so quaint and wonderful to like yeah. do work with your hands, but not in a way where she's like, um, fully aware of the reality of like just doing this all the time for very little pay as like your way of living. Right. Yeah. The uh, precariousness kind of, of it. Yeah. She moves through a lot of these episodes, um, as like a, a tourist through this space. Um, and it, you know, is, is trying to learn in things, but, um, I feel like that is like a, a part, especially at the beginning of the series, a part of like her, um, her character. Um, she, she has like all this idealism, but also, uh, she's coming from a very limited perspective. Um, and she's like, you know, attempting to, to see and feel the truth, but a lot of it is also, uh, especially at this point, I think coming with a, a slight amount of like uh, patronizing quality to it or, um, you know, touristy, um, you know, I just want to get out there and, and understand what real people are going through. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. The, the inevitable like ignorance and like, yes. Um, like shallow, um, or like like truncated like worldview of someone who is like a noble um yeah. who's like just not aware of the realities of like um exploitation how much a banana and, costs <laughs> yeah and like hardship and and whatnot um, yeah and that's definitely like a a major thing at play with uh Cudelia's character um there's a lot to say about Kudelia um, that I, I think I'll have like more to say later, but that, yeah, that's definitely part of it. Her not understanding like the precarity of, of this farm and just being like, Oh, it, it feels good to like, it clears my mind to work with my hands. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> um, yeah, that kind of like out of touch, uh um fetishization of uh yeah like agricultural mm. labor and 
um, like, uh, working class, like livelihood. Um, the other thing that I, I have to say, um, at, in the, uh, at the very beginning here is, uh, bodies being, a uh, a, a major, major theme, um, yeah. of the show that's already emerging for me here. Um, I think there's like, there's multiple dimensions of this, um, but I was struck by uh, the emphasis on bodies um, just visually. Uh, the way bodies are drawn uh, is very striking. Uh, we see like the first example being um, the members of CGS, uh, Orga, Mika, Akihiro, uh, have like extremely defined musculature and, uh, Almost like unbelievably so. Uh, yeah. We see them <clears throat> training like incessantly, uh, but we we see them with their shirts off in various states of undress. Um, with uh, again like uh, their whole body, uh, their like various body parts, um, the motion uh, of their muscles and stuff is portrayed uh, in a lot of detail. Um, and I think that that's notable, uh, not only because, like, again, it's um, drawing attention to this, um, to the movement of bodies um, and their, like, uh, the way they're used, um, the way that they're, like, shaped, um, etc. cetera, uh, but also... Um, it's especially striking because these are like children, right? Yeah. Uh, so like Mika is just ridiculously jacked in a way that uh, I don't know, like how old he's actually supposed to be. If it's like 15 yeah. or 16, uh, uh-huh. maybe a little older, uh, but he's like absurdly jacked beyond like the point that would be <laughs> like reasonable or realistic. Uh, and I think this that like that fact is significant as well that there's like a certain degree of un uh, unrealism about uh, yeah. the bodies in this show uh, that like the exaggeration is um, has like meaning uh, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and then going along with that. Uh, the body like becomes a, a nexus for a lot of other stuff that's going on, like the whiskers, for instance. Yeah, um, uh, it quickly becomes uh, like revealed that there's all of this stuff going on with um, implants, um, like mechanizing the body or um, implanting these systems into the body. Um this gives another contour to the iron and blood thing um, where we have like the human machine interface um, with the human body being like a site of convergence between um, flesh and machine. Um, And this is very complicated uh, uh, very quickly um, with all kinds of damage 
uh, I think we see in the first three episodes, like that these interfaces are causing all kinds of damage um, to the human body. Um, so there's a, a lot of um, unease around this. Um, but then also uh, there's like a normalcy of it. Um, yeah. That is, uh, I think there's a lot to be said about, <laughs> about all of this going on. Yeah. There's also, um, you know, having built a, a number of gunpla, um, one of the things that's interesting is like seeing the, the way that different, uh, shows will sometimes have like, di- or even just different, um, suits like from different factions or something in a show. Like, uh, what's different about, uh, Federation suit versus like a, a Xeon suit or something. Um, and some of them is just like pure aesthetic images. Um, you know, people know how a Xeon suit looks compared to a Federation pretty distinctly just from like a, a visual silhouette style. Um, but especially as the, the like gunplay developed more, um, a thing that's was was interesting when I was building, um, Barbados, the, the master grade is that, um, not to the extent of, I also built the, the real grade of, um, Ava unit zero, um, and there are parts of that that feel very organic, um, which makes sense for Evangelion, uh, yeah. that, that they would be like extremely organic suits, uh, like the entire, like, uh, sort of like, uh, I guess like belly area, you know, of the torso, um, <clears throat> for, for the Ava has like all these different segmentations so that it, it's, uh, it's actually like very similar to like a, a spinal cord and, uh, rib cage and stuff, the way that a lot of stuff moves for that. Um, Barbados is not quite to that extreme, but also, uh, in its design, I think has, it feels a little bit more human than some of the other suits that I've built. Um, just in terms of like the way that, cause sometimes they'll have different parts that will move within the leg and they feel a little bit more, um, like how muscles move than, uh, some other suits, you know, gunplay kits that I've built of suits. Yeah. Um, Barbados in the anime as well, the way it moves is, um, the way it's animated, I think, uh, emphasizes that, that fact as well. Yeah. And so I think there's, there's like a intentionality too of like one, they're, they're showing you these like, um, you know, muscular, like, uh, bodies of the of the boy is in the third core uh in tekadon um and part of that is like really emphasizing how organic they are uh but also in a way where the the um you know the the whiskers that are sort of coming up off of the spine um is gesturing at like further uh pushing of that human form into to seemingly unnatural ways um in the way that like muscle feels both like natural but also as you're you're saying like sometimes like kind of unnatural in how extensive it is um and then sometimes you also get they'll have the the like um there's a thing that goes over the whiskers that's kind of like a little domed piece uh that's part of the interfacing as well um but then that gets just juxtaposed with the the mobile suits which are also a form of embodiment like one of the whole things with mobile suits is that they are like human bodies. They have, you know, limbs and heads and things. Uh, And I think it's also emphasizing the way that those are both mechanical and also kind of uh, mimicking a lot of organic um, or like human shapes. Yeah. And I think 
um, to maybe be more clear about, um, I think when I started talking about this, it was a little jumbled, but um, to be more clear about like what I'm saying, um, you have this like contrast between like these child bodies, but then this like extreme musculature. Um, and I think one of the things that's happening is um, showing like uh, indicating the extremity of the situation of these children that like um, their bodies are like distorted in this way um, or like have had to become um, like uh, essentially these um, these weapons uh, because of their circumstances. Um, and uh, again, going into this, uh, this key tension for IBO of like seeing children put into these extreme situations um, of like battling. Uh, but here it, like, it's not just um, them having to like fight in a Gundam or whatever. It's like, their uh these circumstances are actually like acting on their bodies and shaping their bodies um in these ways that are um uh so extreme uh and i i think the the art and like the animation uh how bodies are animated is um doing a lot of work to like convey all of this yeah um and then as you brought up like the whiskers uh protruding like so extremely uh from the spine um there's like uh, a visceral um element to that for the viewer that i think is um it, it conveys this like uh unease you know we're getting into like body horror territory basically yeah um where you're like experiencing this visceral reaction um Actually, it, one of my favorite parts from these first six episodes is Gylio like vomiting. Um, yeah, when he like is confronted with like uh, the Alaya Visionata system and has to like um, think about like this um, the way the human body is like uh, invaded or whatever. Um, yeah, but a as you said, it's like. Um, it's portraying the human body like extending into this uh different type of form um but it's also like uh portraying um the extremity of like the body being invaded um or like how much um like people's bodies are um like shaped uh and like in in these various ways like destructive or constructive um yeah. by the extremity of like the circumstances um and also some of this and this is stuff that we also talked about like uh i know it came up with um ghost in the shell stuff in particular with the a lot of the cybernetic things there um and that is a, a society where it seems to be far more you know normalized than here um but 
I guess it's not saying too much to say that like this this idea like Gylia being repulsed by this is going to be a thing that's explored more that like uh there there is like class divisions around this kind of implant and like mm. you know what a thing mm. that I would think of is like a, a certain cybernetics um as well within the society so yeah um, and the fact that the cybernetics are like um you know we have a lot of sci-fi Ghost in the Shell is like this as well where like the cyber the technology. Uh, the interface is much more clean um, in terms of like medically, <laughs> uh, yeah. medically stable, um, but then also just not like distorting, visibly distorting the um, the body in these ways. Yeah. Um, but uh, in IBO, um, it it is very much the, the opposite. Um, where we have these like very visible distortions and then also like, um, you know, it's, it's, um, damaging to like these aren't clean interfaces. This is something that is like, um, I, I hesitate to use the word unnatural because, um, like, I don't know if there's enough here. Like, I don't know if, if the show is like, um, coordinating it like trying to establish that nuance to it um yeah but it's it's definitely uh within this world it is it is at the very least uh like dangerous and um something that is associated with like lower class things yeah um and this is where the like abjection comes into play uh, yeah. <laughs> massively um someone could at least i mean again i've only seen six episodes of this but like you could at least write an essay about objection in ibo um at, yeah. at least an essay uh so suffice it to say like that that is very much uh at play here yeah um I'm going to let you uh like if there if there's something that you want to talk about because I have a list of things that <laughs> yeah uh, I mean one th- one thing that I think we can we can jump to and we can talk about more as the series goes on um I think it's the thing that uh like a lot of this stuff is is foregrounded far more directly here uh in these first um episodes but uh, another thing that's here um but i could see people who are like a little bit less familiar with the like um ours is it ours go i've n- I've never been sure how to say it is it goedia or like or goetia. Uh, goetia goetia yeah um but like the 72 gundams referenced um and we have the name of one of them and it's uh you know barbados is pointing towards like this demonology and is also picking up on, um, I forget the exact context that it comes up. Um, I think it's around the psycho Gundam in, in Zeta Gundam, where is it? I don't remember, um, if it's Camille or somebody else who refers to it as like the devil's machine, mm, um, but talks yeah, about the Gundam catch. as the devil's machine. Um, and I think it's like, it's picking up on some of that, but like making it more explicit, uh, in the way that I think, uh, Iron Blooded Orphans, uh, one of, one of the thing, one of the reasons I think a lot of people like it is that, um, it, it is far more like, 
uh, explicit with a lot of these themes uh, out the gate. This one, I think, is a little bit more subdued than, like, the stuff we've been talking, at least so far, uh, the stuff we've been talking about, about, like, you know, child soldiers and um, the body and things. Uh, But we do have this demonology subtext here. We have the, um, you know, 72 demons in the the, uh, Ars Goetia, um, the 72 Gundams. Uh, The one Gundam name that we have so far is a demon from that book. Um, And the the depiction of it is, uh, you know, the the design of Barbados is like demonic, I would say. Um, Yeah, especially in contrast to like this more mass produced standardized. um, Yes. Yeah. I mean, we haven't seen the other Gundams that are going to appear from Gellerhorn. Yeah. but there's a strong contrast for sure. But like there, there are elements of the, cause you know, all like most shows, even outside of um, universal century, the, the like first main Gundam that you see, that's going to be like, you know, the boy get the, the protagonist boy gets into is going to take as its mold, the grand daddy Gundam. It's going to take the RX uh, 78 to the original. And it's going to do different things with it. Um, and then what it does with that will often kind of also point towards like, what is the show doing? What What's going on with the show? Um, and this is one where like you look at it and um, one, there, there is a thing that is pushing it more towards the human form, uh, but also this kind of exaggerated muscular form where like uh, the ribs are like very um, gaunt like in the main section, then you have like this very broad chest. You have these like huge shoulders that, uh, have sort of these, um, curves that are kind of mimicking muscles to some extent. Um, but then you also have these things that are pushing it towards like this demonic figure. Um, most notably that the hands, well, most notably is the V the iconic V on the head, which here has been kind of like turned and bent into two horns, like devil Mm -hmm. horns. Um, but then also the hands have, uh, like, you know, sharp talons on the ends, basically. Um, and you have this like fucking like souls born boss weapon. Yeah. (laughs) With this like enormous mace, um, like this brutal, uh, weapon and like brutal combat style. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is not like, uh, interestingly, you know, Mika is seen going around firing a gun. Um, but here you do get the, the like longer range rifle shows up in the space battle. Um, but like him switching to the more brutal, uh, hand to hand combat thing is like clearly the stronger thing, you know? Um, and again, has this like, wild mace that extends to the sharp point to like stab through things. Um, the first time that you see this him stab with the mace and it like pierce through the, the body, like the cockpit, like hitting the person in the cockpit um, is definitely like this brutal moment early on in the show. Um, And he continues to do this His like killing blow often is to try and hit like right where the cockpit would be. Um, with the, you know, stabbing more like a spear and having it do the slide down so that the it plunges through. Um, yeah. And I will say this is a very jarring 
contrast to the UC stuff, which um, typically features like, um, you know, typically these UC protagonists are like reticent to fight and especially to kill. Um, yeah. So they're they're only like it's it's often like a pivotal moment where when they are actually forced to kill. Um and uh Mika is like so far past that, he's like instantly going for yeah. like like ruthlessly going for like killing blows um like from the start. Uh it is like satisfying in a twisted way. Uh yeah. that he's just like going straight for the kill. Um which is uh yeah, as you pointed out earlier, a kind of defining um aspect of his character so far. Yeah. Uh also a thing about the uh the V is like so prominent on the head. Um and one of the things that it does is it also pushes a line down over the eyes to like tilt the eyes into more of that like uh angry position. Yeah. Um I, I think is also like a key thing happening with the design here. Um and the eyes will oft often uh like glow red too. Um so um Yeah, the the Barbados is amazing. Um Yeah. I told I texted you when I after like episode one and I was like major Dynasty Warriors vibes <laughs> uh with Barbados and uh yeah, the, this Gundam is like a like a Lubu like super badass Dynasty Warriors guy who just has like a ginormous mace and fucks you up. It's like really yeah. fast and also has a huge mace that crushes you. Um, yeah. Uh, God, my internet is, is like dipping a little bit. Um. Anyway, it's not even uh, Sunday. It's not even Sunday. Yeah. Um, Saturday is supposed to be the good day. We, you know, we haven't been doing this regularly. I feel like the more regularly that I record in a time slot, the more often I like the internet's fine. So yeah, you got to keep it lubricated, which is, is a nice thing, but it's been slightly frustrating because throughout this, I've been like trying to figure out exactly how to fix the internet situation. Um, And there's a lot of stuff that I've, tried and like doesn't necessarily improve it but it's also very hard to gauge because it's just like if i'm regularly recording then like uh it gets better and so i can't tell if anything else is making it better when that's happening but anyway uh clearly i haven't fixed it but also there's a certain point where i'm like well it's working fine now and so you know yeah anyway it's (laughs) it's choppy right now but yeah um it's sufficient. Um, is the thing I've been very annoyed about. And at some point we're probably going to move this year. That's the hope. Um, and then I'm just going to like figure out a way to wire things up so that I just have a direct cord going to my laptop when we record. But yeah, it's not where yeah. we're at right now. Um, you also might need to just like shell out for your, um, hardware, like your, networking hardware if you haven't already yeah um, um i think i have because i have my own modem and i have a like a decent i, I would say like a good nighthawk router so um yeah there's the so many factors is, that go into we, it yeah and a we lot use of them rcn and i don't know if switching to comcast would be better but i don't want to do that switch until you know 
Anyway, all this yeah. is beside the point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, we're not going to go into a home networking digression here. Yeah. Uh, although, what on a, another time and place, I would love to. Um, so, uh, I want to talk about Ina just to make sure that we get a chance to to talk about okay. her. Um, yeah, and then I think another thing that would be good. I I was seeing your notes here, and I think this is useful to to bring up too is the uh, Alea Vin- uh, Vishnana system and how that's like. Uh, you know, doing this variation on the the like uh, chosen child thing, but yeah, well, we'll start with that because it's it's more yeah. closely related. Um, the uh, kind of tying into to what we've said already, the uh, Alaya Vijnana system. Um, I, I found this very interesting uh, because we have this like classic Gundam narrative device of, uh, or at least you see Gundam of the chosen child. Um, who is inevitably like a new type, um, who has this like preternatural ability to pilot the Gundam with like very little or no training. Um, and so, you know, we, we have this with Uso and Victory, Judo, um, and Double Zeta, Camille and Zeta, Amuro, obviously, and, um, uh, 79. Uh, here, like, this is another instance where I feel like IBO is in dialogue with the UC stuff, um, because we get a variation on this theme, um, that, uh, first, um, is like grounding the, like, I put, I always put realism in scare quotes because, um, this is, uh, this is always a loaded term. Uh, with a lot of yeah. assumptions involved. Um, but I'm just going to use it in like the understood sense. Um, there's a degree of realism here uh, that IBO uh, establishes by acknowledging like the impossibility or implausibility uh, of a child like piloting a, a device like this without any training. Yeah. Um, so it's basically like dispensing with the new type thing and being like, Obvious, like, no, this is clearly impossible um, unless there was, like, uh, some sort of technological, like, method uh, yeah. to do this. Which well, and this, is. this is also a thing that, um, you know, it, it's doing a very, like, intentional, uh, like, having Mika be unable to read, having him be illiterate is also rebuffing a, a ongoing trope that... Um, you know, you've seen less like other timelines, but often the the Gundam boy is going to have the Amaro thing of getting the the book and reading it and understanding and reading, it yeah, the manual, yeah. And this gets explained in different ways by like you know in Gundam Seed, there's this idea of coordinators. Uh, so there's naturals, and then coordinators have been are like uh, basically test tube babies that have been like genetically modified to be superior. It's it's stupid. Uh, a lot of the way <laughs> the stuff they handle, uh, not that like that pr- entire premise is stupid. I think there's some interesting things you go with that, but it's so like uninterested in actually exploring any of the the politics there. Um, it like doesn't recognize the way that something like that would be like deeply embedded in class um in the way that it should uh but anyway uh and so like um i'm totally drawing a blank on his name because uh, fucking seed uh but like the main uh kira the main boy of seed uh because he's a coordinator he's able 
to like he has the like superior intellect or whatever where he can like quickly read and understand and like reprogram operating systems to match like him and things that's like what makes him a great pilot um this is going in this is like intentionally saying like no uh mika is illiterate um that is not what makes him a good pilot um what what's making him a good pilot is also a thing that is like uh not at least especially now like we don't really know the origin of the the alea visionana i feel like they allude to that it's like very old as well um i forget if anything else comes up around that yet um again i don't want to there's more stuff that i know about this that i don't want to spoil right um but you know, this is this is a thing that's being used to basically um, enable the use of like child labor for not just like uh, child soldiers in this case, but also like the the mobile workers. I'm assuming also do like construction work and things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a way to take uh, uneducated workforce and rather than educate them, you do surgeries on them so that they can get into the machine to do labor for you. Um, and you don't even have to teach them how to use the machine. Um, you're sort of, uh, further like denying education from them. Um, yeah. Which of course can then tie into things. And I think are, this will get us to Aina, uh, to, to Kedalia Aina. But like, um, the education is actually a thing that can like enable revolutionary stuff too in people because it allows them to like coordinate across distances and, uh, read theory and things like that. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, but yeah, and so it's specifically figuring is like the thing that makes Mika be able to be uh, the good pilot with the Gundam is one that the Gundam is very powerful and two that he has this thing that uh, is actually coming from like a low class position that allows him to more directly interface with it. And that is a dangerous thing, but that is like a, a thing that then um, mistakenly gives him power in this moment. Uh, in a, in a way that they weren't like intending when they gave him this, uh, you know, um, operation. Um, and then the other thing that enables him to be a fantastic pilot is that he's not afraid to pull the trigger. He's not afraid to swing the, the mace thing, (laughs) whatever his weapon is called. I don't actually know if there's a name for it, but it's cool. Um, (laughs) so yeah, it's like this combination of things like his willingness to just, uh, do violence without hesitation. Um, this technology, um, and, uh, also the Gundam itself, what the Gundam is. Uh, those are all the things that enable him to be this like fantastic pilot rather than, um, this thing that feels more like new type does the idea of new type does so much other stuff with it, but also you watch it and you're like, yeah, tell me no, probably watch star Wars. Like there's some Jedi in this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, it does very different things and goes in different directions with it, but also just like, uh, it's pulling from the same sort of chosen boy gets special power. Um, yeah. And like tapping into like, there's this, like this force that, you know, ties all these people together and some people are, um, like more attuned to it. And I think more of this was, uh, off recordings, but, uh, I've definitely referred to the, um, you know, the, the new type of ghost parade of like, uh, dead woman from <laughs> the universal century shows as the force ghosts. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, and Zeta, where it's like all of the conscious, like all of these dead people, Camille is like absorbed into his mind. But yeah. there, you know, this is like a much darker vision <laughs> than Star Wars. Uh, yeah. That we're getting it's just in, good in that, that Luke has Yoda and uh, Obi Wan hanging around in his brain. <laughs> yeah, um, but uh, I I think you did a really uh, I, I think you articulated really well like um, the complex like uh, like combination of things that are happening with the uh, Alive Vision Eye system and um, Mika. Uh, yeah. And yeah, all, all, like to just point at that and basically say, like, um, you know, that this is like um, a variation on like what you see is done, um, you know, and you see it's like, well, it's a child special ability that allows them to um, to pilot this Gundam, uh, but then in the course of like because they can pilot the Gundam, um, then like there's this violence and exploitation that is like, they become subject to, um, in like, you know, these various ways. Um, and then it becomes like this, this site of, um, imprisonment and freedom, um, like agency and lack of agency and like all these contradictions are there. Um, but then in IBO, um, the very ability to like pilot the Gundam, um, is itself like uh, part and parcel of um, these like prior uh, exploitative like conditions, um, and uh, I I think the the way that this is happening is like um, it's creating different contours to these themes that you know I'm sure um, will be developed in different ways. Um, but it also shows the like the calculus and like the focus of of the show, um, the perspective of it on these different themes is yeah. um, is is different um, in some interesting ways. Um. So, do we want to get to Kudelia? Yes, Ina Kudelia, um, who <laughs> we should keep Ina. saying Ina because it's it's fun. Because IBO has an Ina. Um, and uh, I was really psyched I, when. Especially now that uh, I've seen like four. Uh, I I like this Ina more than the 08th MS Team Ina. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah everything I liked about 08th MS Team Ina. Well, not everything, but a lot of what I liked about the 08th MS Team Ina. Uh, is just like there in uh, four and some of the other uh characters throughout especially zeta my favorite of all of them are uh is plus plus fucking great but yeah um, she's fantastic no one's ever coddled me the way that i wanted (laughs) (laughs) yeah plus is a brat in the way that um Mm. yeah i i could see you appreciating um yeah uh the ina um ina here is definitely better than ina and i and uh Oh eighth, um, yeah, I, I think so far, um, Ina is uh, a very fascinating character in this show. Um, her character development is 
Um, she's obviously like a, one of the main characters and very prominent. Uh, but even so, um, I think that a lot of the like character development is um, actually pretty subtle. Um, but there's a lot going on subtly. Um, with her character, there's a lot of dimensions that are like intersecting here um, and a lot of uh, areas of tension. Um, so obviously the one we've acknowledged so far is the fact that she's uh, part of the nobility. Um, we don't really know exactly like what her family is yet, um, but they're clearly like a prominent noble family of some sort on Mars. Um, and yet, uh, she is like the leader of this revolutionary movement, um, which is, you know, predominantly composed seemingly of like working class people, um, or at least like championing them. Um, so we have this whole, like, um, right away the show establishes that it's going to be dealing with this idea of like revolution from above. Um, or, uh, the class politics of like, um, the upper class or the nobility, um, being involved with like revolutionary action, um, like the, maybe the possibility of this, um, or the hazards or, um, maybe the necessity of it, uh, we'll see, um, what the show actually does with it. Um, but this issue is like a huge, is or at play with her. Um, yeah. Cause the other like images we get of the, the independence movie movement are like, um, you know, no, no named characters protest in the street. And like, yeah. Masses of like, yeah. you know, of people with just like, you know, identified by carrying like signs and things. Um, yeah. Um, so the only like, uh, character in the show so far who is like, uh, specifically talking about this, uh, movement is, uh, Kudelia as like, a um, a noble, whereas the other people, uh, certainly there are probably people in the, in Tekadon who support this and, you know, uh, would believe in this, but also there's a fair amount of, um, you know, Mika's not thinking about this. Right. Um, and other people seem far more just focused on, like, the the immediacy of survival rather than on, like, uh, political movements, um, especially among these, like, children. Yeah. But, and at the very least, we can see that, like, in these scenes that we get of these protests, like, it doesn't appear to be, like, the nobility out there. Yeah. Um, nor would it yeah, make the, sense. <laughs> yeah. The protest, uh, the protesters are, are, you know, seem to be common people. Um, so, uh, you know, we, we have this, which, um, is like an explicit narrative, uh, component of her character. Um, but, uh, it, these two forces converging and then, uh, her status as a woman, um, which is, uh, I think not quite as um, explicitly treated yet, um, but there. Uh, and then her own youth and um, statuses, 
I use the word child in my notes. I don't know how old these characters are supposed to be, but I think it's clear that like she's not really a full adult at this point. Yeah. Uh, um, all the main characters, I would say, uh, of like Tekadon, um, feel like they are teens. You know, I yeah. feel like she's probably a a little bit closer to. Also, there's a certain vibe to um, Mika that he's just like short, and not just that he's like significantly younger than some other people. Uh, but I do also like. Um, Mika seems younger than Orga, and I would I would probably place uh, Kudelia as like uh, in between or or maybe more around Orga's age. Yeah, um, uh, but even if she's like in her twenties or whatever, um, you know, she's extremely young. Um, so we have these like four dimensions um, again, like her, her youth, um, her like situation as a woman. Like her, her status as a revolutionary leader and then her position of power is nobility. Um, like all of these dimensions have uh, a convergence between like the social and the personal. Um, and therefore, like she creates this landscape of like tensions um, that she has to struggle with. Um, and we see her struggling. Uh, quite a bit throughout these first six episodes. Um, the other thing that's interesting about Ina is uh, like the other characters, the way that she's drawn um, is very uh, significant. I think um, her, like her body and her hair um one thing I've uh, that I noticed is um, the way that she's drawn. Like in most scenes, her breasts are very like prominent, uh, but her frame is like slight. Uh, yes. So there's this sense that I got of like uh, a contrast between her like not really being like a full adult, um, but also like having these features of um, like having these sexual features of like adulthood or whatever, Um, like drawing attention to um, like these contrasts in in her body as well. Um, And then her hair uh, is like, I think it stands out. Um, It's extremely like lush um, and long, but also, uh, again, almost like unrealistically, uh, um, static and like, um, shapely. Uh, so you have like, I think there's meaning in, in all of the, in, uh, these contrasts. Uh, especially yeah. around like the her hair being so lush, um, there's something about like me, uh, Ina having like a tremendous amount of potential or strength, um, or like um, like potency as a person um, 
but then there's also like this incredible restraint uh or um constraint uh on her uh or about her um that uh again i think is is symbolized in in her hair um yeah and then also like this tension between what she has to be um the the stature like that she has to uh project and perform in her position as like a this revolutionary leader or whatever um are like the activities of an adult um but she like she is not this like adult yet um and all of this is borne out uh, again with um i think in like how she's animated and drawn yeah um also i think there's a uh i mean a lot of this is taking place in one it's like uh within the realm of anime this stuff is kind of uh can be nebulous anyway but also it's like orphans on mars um but uh ina is like clearly meant to be white um you know she has blonde hair and and things like that um and i i would say from like design and stuff mika seems to be more he also has a, a very uh notably japanese like uh family name his his given name um is not but his like family name is uh mikazuki um and you know he seems to have a little bit more of like a a potentially uh japanese design uh you know meant to be japanese um orica is like you know more explicitly racialized too he has darker skin um than you know a fair number of the other characters um we also get like uh yuki nojo um is dark-skinned and things like that so um you know she is like notably one of the lightest skinned characters um i guess atra's kind of uh you know could also potentially be white or something but um yeah, yeah she's the one who, she's Ina, one who feels most... yeah she there there's an emphasis happening i think in the the um just the design of these characters of uh you know a certain racialized difference happening here too where where she is like uh so far the other like similarly bright yellow blonde um kind of white looking character we've seen has been mcgillis who is also you know clearly a, a noble um Yeah. So yeah, I, uh, and I think absolutely. some of that is also factoring into just the, you know, none of this is being um, very specific to the, uh, like race isn't being brought up really directly yet in the way beyond sort of like space rats as this uh, this term that could kind of maybe border to some degree, but is more of a, a class term, I think. Um, I'm contrasting this to like turn a, which like very specifically right out the gate has like moon race as a, uh, an idea. Mm-hmm. Um, that is like, I think more directly, uh, and immediately engaging with ideas of race and, uh, racism in America as well, I think. Um, but 
it's also I think there's a certain amount to which it is uh, in the background here. Um, I just want to note that I, I was just glancing through your notes uh, and I saw uh, the note for Ayn, uh Jared type rival character uh, and, and cheered a little bit inside. <laughs> yeah, I know. We, I know we have a Jared like fan base contingent on export yeah. audio and <laughs> abnormal mapping. Um, yeah, he's he's definitely uh, set up as he might not quite be at the stature of a Jared, but he's like a Jared. Yeah, type. he uh, like part of Jared to me is like um, his status is like a, a fail son who just like rises to. <laughs> His like uh, <laughs> level of incompetence again and again. Yeah. Um, I Ein is a little bit less that. Ein's a little bit more driven by like, uh, you know, I want to like get revenge and prove myself and everything um, in a way that I, th- if, in a the same way that like Mika feels far more extreme than a lot of Gundam protagonists. Uh, Ein is also kind of, uh, I think, being pushed that in that direction. Yeah. Um, He's, he's like very he's occupying this like role basically, but he's not the same. Yeah. The like specifics of his character are, are definitely different. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I had to do the Jared shout out in my notes. <laughs> yeah, I just got excited seeing Jared. <laughs> <laughs> um, um. Yeah. So, I I hope that. Um, I came into this episode being like, yeah, I have a lot to say about bodies. And then um, I think like jumbled it around a lot, but uh, I hope I like we've conveyed the the point that uh, bodies are very important (laughs) in IBO. Um, Yeah. uh, As far as like some of the other key themes, um, you brought up education. Uh, the stuff with Mikazuki uh, is was fascinating to me. Um, you know, he starts in this position of like seeming contentment with his ignorance, um, or not his lack of education, um, but like ignorance of um, explicit ignorance of like operational details, stuff like that. Um, he doesn't know them, and he doesn't care to. Um, but as soon as like reading becomes a possibility, he recognizes its significance. Um, and specifically for like enabling these new forms of thought and action, um, that will be important to, um, his and everyone else's liberation. Um, so we have kind of a, um, possible emergence of education as like a radical and radicalizing action. Um, yeah, the the more specific like elements of this. So Mika is like, as as you brought up earlier, he's like, yes, I can do better repairs if, um, I know how to read and I can like help more. Um, but then he's also like, oh, you know, I actually do want to like read a bunch of books. Um, yeah. And I have this like intellectual curiosity and I want to study like um, agriculture so I can run a farm. Um, yeah. And that's like the livelihood that I want for myself. Like when I'm free, like I, I want to have a farm. Um, and so he makes this connection uh, quite quick, quickly. 
uh, between like, you know, the, this free uh, life that he's pursuing and envisioning um, and then the necessity of education to like enable that. Uh, or the utility of education, at least. Um. Um, by the way, I've been trying to look into ages. I think none of this is confirmed, really. I don't think there's beneficial ages for any characters. Um, other than a couple where that's uh, like sets some of the limits. Um, so what have you What have you good. found so far? Um. So Takaki, who's one of the little, the like younger kids being trained to, to read and write, um, is noted in an episode to be 13. Um, mm, okay. And, uh, based on the, the age that Orca is given towards the end of the series, um, we'll get a little bit of a time skip, um, throughout this, uh, but it's probably like, uh, 17 mm-hmm. at this point. Um, some of this is kind of vague because it's like based on when that comes up and then, yeah um and so then speculation uh mika is confirmed to be younger than orga so it's probably like 15 or 16 um and kudelia is probably also like 17 or maybe 18 okay Um, yeah orga could maybe be 16 there's like a lot of shifting around here um but yeah okay and then uh atra is, is like uh probably like 14 or 15 um as another like character who's come up here. Interesting. Cause she seems so much smaller than, uh, or so much younger than like Mika. Yeah. Uh, but probably, I guess, isn't, um, yeah, I think that supports what we're saying about, yeah. Uh, the portrayal of, um, of these characters in their bodies. Um, I, th- that's more or less how I perceived it. Uh, because again, Crank like re- sees them as children and refers to them as children. Yeah. So uh, I think that's consistent. Yeah. As um, far as the other themes, um, I don't know if there's anything in particular, uh, but I had to. The one thing, last thing that I definitely have to call out is the symbolism of the Gundam, uh, because. I'm watching <clears throat> Gundam Victory <laughs> right now. Yeah. Uh, if if you listen to the intro episode, uh, I mentioned it there. And uh, one of the things that's really interesting about Gundam Victory is it become, uh, begins to engage in this kind of um, self-referential or like metatextual um, dialogue with uh, prior Gundam stuff. Uh, around like the symbolism of the Gundam. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, th- th- again, this is a key theme, um, which, uh, emerges, uh, particularly in Megillus, uh, Megillus's reactions to the Gundam in episode six. Yeah. Um, where he, he starts to like expound on the, the history of Barbados um, and uh, it kind of takes him into this mental space where he's like um, getting emotional. Um, you know, his, the first really like emotional reaction that we see from him is when he's yeah. encountering Barbados. 
Um, also notably with this, even when he's, uh, cause he's talking to other people. Um, I just want to emphasize that he seems to be like more aware of things than all, even other people of like his station, um, in some of these reactions. Um, yeah. And so like conversations in, like, with people. This additional knowledge. Yeah. Um, which, uh, you know, he kind of like, uh, he verbalizes some of it, but, uh, again, it's like hinted at that, um, he perhaps knows even more. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but like there's... even some of the stuff he verbalizes is in the context of him, like, uh, sort of explaining these things to other people around him. So it's not purely just like that. This is common knowledge or common knowledge among like the noble classes. Like he seems to have, uh, some deeper knowledge even in explaining this. And that knowledge is like taking him into, um, he's talking about, uh, oh, well, uh, a machine called Barbados is, uh, you know, it has world historical significance, um, or like uh, in this instance, universe historical, uh, significance, um, which, um, we get a lot of this in, in victory as well, uh, where people, uh, are not only reacting to um, the Gundam as like, oh, it's a mobile suit, and like, oh, I know the Gundam is a powerful weapon. Um, they're reacting to it as like a symbol um, with all of this like uh, symbolic weight um, and uh, uh, a symbolic charge. Um, so uh, it it's uh, it becomes a kind of transcendent. Um, like force uh in a way um which not only is like a intimidation factor um constantly in in victory uh people are like oh it's it's the uh it's the white gundam like the famed you know white gundam of you know all these prior wars that like uh always like shows up and like single-handedly like you know wins the the war or whatever um yeah but then also the white like doll. The, what's that the white doll yeah we'll, the, we'll the, get the, there we'll get to the white doll <laughs> um or white Not in the show but in a different yeah yeah um that reminded me of a, a note here too that was f- further tying into uh barbados as like a a devil or demon um, is Ayn refers to it as the horned mobile suit. Um, mm. um, but yeah, I, I wanted to, to pull a thing from uh, McGillis talks about how uh, Gundams have appeared at historical turning points. Um, and basically that like this enables ha- having a Gundam helps enable a Mars revolution from Kudeli, like along with, and I think in that moment he's like pairing it with, also having a figure like Kudelia Ina Bernstein that like, yeah. there's also something symbolic about both the Gundam, but also about the, the figure of, uh, Kudelia, um, beyond just like the actual, uh, political movement itself. Yeah. Um, um yeah. Like, Oh, a machine called Gundam has emerged at various points throughout history as like a key force like turning yeah. more, like historical events and it's serving <laughs> wink, wink, nudge, nudge. yeah um yeah. 
but uh it one thing that i'm excited to to watch is um Megillus is like reacting gleefully to this um so for him uh with the like whatever's going on with his character which uh, appears to be interesting and i'm sure it will be um you know his response to this knowledge is like um this kind of glee at like being able to engage with what he's like identifying as uh or perceiving as like a world historical force um embodied uh um so there's a, the a conscious level in Megillus of like uh engaging with the symbolism of the Gundam like for him it's concrete like he uh he treats this as like a concrete reality um but then there's also like an uh, um an unconscious respond uh, response that uh characters are having to like the projection of this like symbolic power um and again not just in ibo but in like all of the uc stuff um yeah the like gundam itself like it projects the symbolic power um that is kind of like this gravitational force um and like these gundams are always like um drawing people to them um like enemies and allies and whatever um and uh so it's it's fascinating that like ibo is continuing this um by like resuscitating the um you know the old gundam barbados um but then it's also adding to uh some of this established framework around like uh what gundam's doing with um symbols and like their ability to shape our lives and our consciousness um like the power and function of of symbols um with the the gundam itself being like the the main um a, a key symbol um where this like gets worked out yeah um Also, I think, like, in the mix of this, uh, I guess just to finish some of this stuff out, too. Um, like, you had, a, you had a note in here about the conversation between Kudelia and Orga um, in episode three. Um, we didn't cover this in the synopsis, but um, Orga is talking about Mika saying he's full of con- uh, contradictions. But that's why he's strong. <clears throat> and you made the note, like, so is Kudelia, so is Orga. <clears throat> or your note says... So is Ina, mm-hmm. so is Orga. Um, but um, I, I think this is also like part of what's being set up here. And maybe as we go on, we can we can talk and think more about uh, how is this progressing. But um, we have sort of, uh, I would say, like in the, the for me, at least at this point, it seems like the main characters, the three main characters um, are Orga, uh, Mika and Kudelia. Um, those are sort of the, the primary ones. We have lots of other characters who are in the mix, but those like are the, the meat, the biggest focal characters. Um, and then the Gundam. Um, and I think the Gundam also, uh, is being portrayed as being full of contradictions. Um, and I think part of what's being set up by all of this is like, uh, 
these four like things are what are potentially enabling um the sort of revolutionary movement um that you have the the like you know noble politician um who who is here uh and she has her own contradictions around things you have orga who's like the one who is able to like plan um and and take this sort of uh side of things but is also in his contradictions constantly looking to um like mika for basically like the the uh will and the push to like dream bigger um and then mika sort of in this uh interesting contradictory position to that is kind of uh is always the one that's like uh seems so full of like um intention in how little he hesitates and how uh willing he is to you know to go out and do the thing to to act um but also it, that that is so dependent on um having the guidance having the thing to do uh that bika is not going to devise the plan but we'll execute it. We'll, we'll take those actions. Um, yeah. And then you have being the, Gundam, able to, the like, thing that like provides the, the actual power. Um, yeah. And the, the one thing I would add is like Mika being able to not doubt. Yeah. Like the, the freedom of like total faith um, or like that total trust and conviction. Um, yeah that he has for orga like because he doesn't have to doubt to doubt he can act with like such certainty <laughs> um yeah y- yeah um. uh i i don't know how much more i have to add i think that's like as far as setting up some of this the the stuff that I think is going to continue to pay off and be at play. Um, there's other, there's other stuff, but we have a lot of episodes to, to work through. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I already feel like we've been a little haphazard jumping around. Uh, but a- as you know, like I'm always inclined to whenever we start a, a series, especially a long, um, a long one with a lot going on. I always like to just sketch out like the main poles of the, like what's going on thematically and stuff. And I, I think that, I think we've called out like most of the areas to, um, to watch. Yeah. Um, so I guess we can wrap things up. Um, next time we will uh, be covering episodes seven through 13. Um, that'll be in two weeks. If you have uh, emails that you want to send us uh, questions for the question bucket or corrections to things that we got wrong, <laughs> um, send them into ghostdiverspod at gmail.com. Uh, please go to exportaud.io and support the network. Uh, $1 gives you early access to a bunch of podcasts. Um, the regular podcasts are um, Gotham City Limits, uh, Ornate Stairwells, which is a podcast that I'm on and uh, do with my friend Autumn, where we watch their movies and talk about them. Um, 
that one usually goes really long and it's just us bullshitting most of the time but it's a lot of fun I uh Potter it used to be a shorter po- podcast yeah um <laughs> pondering Bhutan, uh that is a uh, will never be more than a half hour podcast um because we have a time limit but that's you and me connor um and that people should just check it out if you like us go if if you like listening to this podcast go listen to it um it's more of us goofing off than happens in the main episodes here but it's good um uh hot singles uh is, is sort of sporadic in its releases but you also get early access there um pop town or uh pardon my franchise uh that's uh ottoman nora this is a newer one so i'll do a little bit more of a spiel but ottoman nora watching through franchises where you're like um i'm sorry they made seven of those movies um so like currently they're doing robocop i think they'll still be doing robocop when this episode goes out um and then you also get uh oh and coffee and comic books i think you get early access i'm not actually sure um but you do get exclusive bonus episodes if you're a five dollar patron along with uh pop town funk so um please if you if you like this podcast um go support that network uh this season we're not doing early episodes but i'm thinking about it i'm thinking about it for going forward uh this season's also like the end of the period where i planned out a bunch of stuff with input from you connor but i planned out like our seasons um you're we're gonna you're, we're yeah, gonna, i'm you're the orga and i'm the mika in this situation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh but we're we're gonna move to uh, after uh this season we're gonna move to you pick one i pick one uh maybe we bring out a, a guest you pick one i pick one you pick one i pick one you know guests get slotted in after both of us so um mm-hmm. that's sort of the plan um then not on the network but over on the abnormal mapping network um i do a podcast with m of abnormal mapping and great gundam project and a lot of other great podcasts called around the long fire where we um are reading through sagas so when this goes out we'll still be reading Nyala, i'm pretty sure but we might, we'll be getting closer to the end. And then we're going to be uh, hanging out in uh, Hamstrangle Land for a while. Uh, just reading through all of the, all the sagas in that book. So, um, follow us on Twitter at Ghost Divers Pod uh, or co host at Ghost Divers. You can follow me at Fox Momnia on both Twitter and co host. Uh, where can people follow you, Connor? Uh, you can. Follow me at Reblaze or B B L E A I S on Twitter and co-host. Um, that does it for us today. Yeah. I'm I'm tired. Yeah, I need too. to go to bed. Yeah, there were too um, too many too many topics. Um, too little time. Except, actually, not because we have a lot of episodes. Yeah, um, I I think this is. I mean, we we're a little all over the place, but I feel like this is a good episode for the first six. We're just like talking about the main themes at work. We'll have more time to talk about how stuff develops and uh, you know specific plot points and things. But I think like pulling out what are the big themes right out the the bat. That's the most important work for this. So definitely. for this episode. So um, thank you for joining us. Yeah. See you in two weeks. See you next time. 
Class dismissed. No. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna just have us start saying classes with stuff off. Bye. Bye.
by the time that is to start. You can actually pull it back up. It closed out. So often now I just close it out once we do it. It's time actually like is. a thing that reminds me. Yeah. Yeah. It's me like too. a thing where like if we goof off for a while, if I like you know if I make sure that I open it when we're recording, it like somehow helps me remember that we did do it. Anyway. Yeah. No, I'm with you. Um Let's do it at 11. Okay. Ooh, that was a good clap. Yeah, it sounded good to me too. Yeah. Your clap was good. I still can, like, hear it. No, yeah. Still nothing will ever top Kim's clap. The Kim's clap room. was so fucking... Did you listen to it? No, I didn't, but... Oh, I mean, I, I mean, I heard like, it in the, the moment. moment. Yeah, yeah. Even in the moment, it was like impressive. Um, the fact that someone commented and called it a sonic boom sounded—it sounded like a sonic boom—is is pretty good. Yeah, um, it was such a good clap. Um. Anyway, um. So before we get into the episode, which we should do soon. We've already had a lot of warm up here, but I do want to just send you this. This is a callback to last episode, uh, which we did just record, but I want to send it to you now. Um, this is from the super robot wars that has Rayers, And I just, I just, we're, we'll do a countdown, like get it open and ready to play. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I don't know if you need to like get through ads or whatever, but we'll yeah. do a countdown. We'll watch it together. I can put in some audio here. Um, Okay. I don't it know might how co- well people will be able to hear, but yeah, it might cut over, so I might not be able to hear you once I start. Oh yeah, that it. happens sometimes. Yeah, but that's all right. Just count it down. Okay. Um. Three, two, one. There we go. <laughs> we got Laloch. Okay. Yeah. So I I can I can see you're talking, but I can't hear you. But I'm just gonna okay. talk. The rare theme playing. Yeah. When this is yeah. done, I'll have to check with. So it's God. yeah, Code Geass versus Rare Earth. Oh yeah. no, it's, it's not. <laughs> okay. Yeah, that's fantastic. <laughs> Um, yeah, okay, just, I can, I can hear you again. Okay. Yeah. It's just starting with, um, you know, the rare code key ass people while the rare theme plays. And then it's just the giant song from, uh, the best mech design ever. Yes. Um, no, hands yeah. down. Um, uh, yeah, and then he the just like song completely Yung's fucking like destroys Bitul. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that, that was really good. Um, yeah. That like that sequence of the game, like whoever did that part has a really good sense of humor. Yeah. Or whoever is, because obviously there's multiple people. But um, um, yeah, that was good. Just the, the, rare the fact theme- that Giant Sungyung is in that game makes me like I should try and seek it out and play it at some point. I don't know, how, you know, the best way to do that. Uh, I haven't like looked into that much, but um, God, I love the girls so much. Are they? Um, is Song Young like playable? Um, Do you know? Yeah, I don't even know. If if people have played this game, um, 
Cut. Let me look. Um, I just I just typed in Sangyang, and that's not going to give me. <laughs> it just gives me the bo- well. Well, it gives me the cars in. and also the boy. Yeah. Um, people can write in. Uh, I think this is. Is this just Super Robot Wars thirty? There've been thirty of these games. Is that, that what that means? True. There's no way. It's just 30 years on. Okay. Oh, the battle for our future, our world's future continues. It's like the I fucking mean, Doctor Who of video games here. Yeah. 30, 30 iterations. Um, the, like, one thing I just know from, like, Super Robot War stuff is, uh, especially back in the day when these weren't coming out at all in the U.S. I don't know if that's like changed more recently, but licensing can be a nightmare for these games because, mm. uh, like all of the you franchises know, involved. Yeah. It's, it's very hard to like get those then over to the U S and have it all work. Um, but I know a couple have come over. Um, but I remember like back in the day being like, people would show like, here's translations from one where, uh, you know, it's like, Shar yelling at Shinji or something. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good. Uh, I'd watch that show. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I don't know. Shar could think- like Shar could be an Ava, probably. Yeah. That's not too too far. I mean, well, you know, there. A lot of UC stuff is not too far from from Ava, but. Um, well, just, well, we've already discussed this at least twice. Um, I just glanced at, at your notes for this, uh, and was struck by you saying Ina for, for Kudelia. Um, yeah, her name's Ina. Like we're, we're yeah. bringing it back. Kudelia Ina Bernstein. Um, um, yeah, fair warning. I or, probably will. I probably, probably will call. Yeah. I probably will just call her Ina because yeah, that's amusing to me. Um, although she appears to be quite a different character, so um, we'll yeah, see. I haven't actually looked up the like pronunciations here. Oh, interesting. I'm looking at the the Japanese for her name, um, and I said interesting because uh, so it's in katakana, uh, like you know kudaria. Mm-hmm. And then it's like uh, in kanji, Aina. Um, and then uh, Bonstein. Yeah, Stein. Mm. Um, but yeah, it was just interesting me to, to me to like see the mostly katakana name, but her middle name is in kanji. Yeah, so I, I, I guess the Kudelia and Bernstein, Bernstein obvious. Kudelia is perceived as a Western name. Um, yeah, and then Ina is what's the kanji for for I? Um, yeah, let me look at what the actual like breakdown is for because it, it's two kanji. Mm-hmm. Um, so. The the first one is, is like indigo, or like you know, like a a type of blue. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not actually sure what this this other one. 
me see like name meaning for this. This might be one that like primarily only shows up in names. Um, oh, so like uh, beautiful. What okay. Is the meaning. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, there are a few other names here that I like the the grays. I I think I assume that's just grays. Oh, that one they don't even. Oh, here it is. Yeah, grays. Um, one that uh, I don't know what version you are watching. Um, I've just been watching on Crunchyroll. Um, and it was jarring to me because when I first watched this, whatever subs I was using, which was also like, I was like watching it on Netflix or something, um, had the name of the ship, the Isaribi, um, or is it Isarabi? Um, it's Ribi. Yeah. Um, but, at least in mine, it's Ribi. Yeah. But they called it, um, Will of the Wisp in the, the, the subs I was watching. But yeah. Isaribi. Uh, I get both. My okay. subs have referred to it as both. Okay. Um, maybe I just didn't remember, and it's like that's what the CGS people call it, and then they decide to call it the Isaribi. That would also go along with them, like, renaming from CGS to Tekadon. Yeah, that that is what happens. Okay. The original name is, is Will of the Wisp, and then they rename it to Isaribi. Okay. Um... I was just so confused by them suddenly saying Will of the Wisp because I, in my head, that's just the Isaribi. Yeah. Um, so. Um, they don't refer like, to what it. Is this? It's not well established, like, that it is named Will of the Wisp. It's only referred to, like, a couple of times as that yeah. before they change it. Yeah. Um, CGS, I remembered because you, you'll see that on, like, their, their coats. And so, like, even just in, like, art for the show, but I think it also, that sticks around, mm-hmm. um, the CGS on the, like, back of their coats. Um, at least for a little bit, I think. Anyway, uh, do we want to just get into the, the episode? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Um, all right, let's do the content warnings right at the, the top so you can get those in. Okay. Make it easy for my editing. Um, I don't know if there's, I guess I'll, I'll talk through some things and if there's any specific stuff that you want to add, you can add it. Um, so, uh, we definitely get more from episode one through six. There's, there's more like blood, violence, death. Uh, some of this stuff is going to get amped up in, uh, seven through 13. Um, it's going to become a little bit more personal, I guess, some of the, the depictions of violence. Mm. Um, I feel like there's not quite as much direct uh, development of like the the Alea Vijnana, like um, that aspect of like the body and the you know quote unquote like grotesque or mutilated. I'm doing scare quotes here, but right. um, it it continues in the same way. But I feel like there's not too much development happening here yet. Um, we do though start getting a lot of the uh, like themes around sex and sexuality happening here uh which the the you know first six episodes vaguely gesture at where sometimes the the boys might be talking about girls um but we're gonna get the uh harem anime uh part show up um and around that there's going to be a lot of girls and uh a lot of like 
stuff around the sexuality between uh, all these boys on the ship and then all these girls. Um, so that's going to develop and there, there will be, uh, I guess the, the biggest thing, um, there's a little bit of, um, like I would, I guess I would say implied sex work. There's not like a lot of explicit depiction of it. Um, but there, there are multiple scenes around that, including like a, a young character who's working in a, a brothel, but not doing sex work. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least none of that's depicted. It seems like she's just doing like uh, chores around the, the the brothel for right now. Um, there is though also the I forgot that this came up um, this early. Uh, I thought it was like the second half of season one, um, but I guess it's happening right around the midway point. Um, you start getting stuff around uh, arranged marriage that includes a young girl. Um, mm-hmm. There's not a lot like directly depicted, but some of that stuff could already be uncomfortable for people. Um, I would say if people are unsure, uh, watch. And if you like immediately feel uncomfortable with some of the stuff that comes up in these episodes, then just like know that it's it's going to continue to explore that and probably um, in more detail. So that could be, um, you know, go into it right now and and know that like this is not that where it ends, <laughs> I guess I will say. Um, and uh yeah, I think that's it. There, there's not like too much else in terms of um, like there's a couple no- moments of like racism or yeah, I guess like like the it, the in world there's there's more stuff being developed around like space rats and human debris that got introduced in the first six episodes. Yeah, um, and, like Mar- Mars-born people versus like Earth-born yes. people. Yeah, um, there's not. A, I think it might only be like a couple, one or two comments, but it is there. Mm. Um, it's definitely and, uh, exploring like dehumanization as a thing too. Yeah, and then uh, I, you said this at the top, but definitely heavy like corporal punishment and like violence and and like against and death of children. Yeah, um, that's that's heavy. In yeah, these. Um, that stuff was uh, a little bit more implied, and some of it's being shown more directly now. I think than in the first yeah. episodes. Um, not that it's like completely papered over in the first six episodes, but you, you see stuff a little bit more direct this time. So, um, yeah, I think that's it. Yep. Um, make a little mark. 